Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse, episode 391. I am Peter, and joining me, as always, is Matt. Hey, what's up? This is DC Comics Podcast. We get together and talk about DC books we read this week. Coming up on today's show, we have Superman issue 10, Wonder Woman issue 5, Nightwing 110, Titan 7, Green Lantern War Journal 5, Batman Superman World's Finest 23, Jay Garrick The Flash issue 4, and Justice League vs. Godzilla vs. Kong issue 4. So that's what's coming up on today's show. Plus we also have solicits for for April. So we'll be looking through those as well. How's your week been, Matt? It is pretty good. Uh, very busy. Work, work has sucked, so, you know. And there's a lot of books to read, so a lot of free time spent reading. Yeah, I've just, you know, my sleeping pattern's been all over the place. I was up super early today, unnaturally so. so. Between you and Connor and our friend Dan, I feel like I'm woefully behind on movies. Every time, <laughs> every time I check Letterboxd, you guys are blogging something, and I feel like, you know, I'm falling behind. But I mean, it, I, I've been doing well. I'm at 24 movies, and it's the 20th of January today for the year. I'm so still at four. I, you know, inevitably I'm going to get in a video game mood or something, and I'll stop barring what I need to watch yeah. for shows for like a couple of months. It's inevitably going to happen. But so far, <laughs> I have I have made a strong start, and... I was planning on watching something after the show today, but I've been awake so goddamn long that I feel like I'm probably just going to crash. But, yeah. you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. I've got, you know, I'll get a couple done tomorrow. Cause I, I need to do a movie for a show tomorrow anyway, yeah. and I'll probably get a second one in. Uh, but uh, I, I'm trying to stay ahead of, you know, so we're on, on the 28th. I'm trying to stay ahead of how many, like one per day. As for as long as I can, I want to be above the number of day that we're on oh, for the year. So far, so good. Inevitably, it will crumble. But the more I get ahead, the less it will matter when I do miss a day. <laughs> right, right, because you banked them. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. first world problems and all that. But it's uh... no, yeah, they are. I just, you know, between work and then and the gym and then coming home and dinner and hockey. Because you, you don't have sports to, to go no, with. Sp- no sports. I'm not watching so, wrestling just now. I'm not playing no. video games that much right now. So it's all yeah, movies. That's all, all movies. But I look on there and the competitive part of my brain, the dirtbag part, is like, <laughs> you got to watch something. Uh, I mean, I'll probably end up by next Sunday. I'll end up having some watched. But... No, I don't think you've like got pro on Letterboxd yet. No. Um, but what I like about that, especially at the start of the year, is... You so it, it tells you for the year, like, like say you've watched three movies with uh, Sylvester Stallone in them. It'll it, give it you, gives you your top yeah. twenty. It's fun seeing that start to populate as you yep. you don't realize that you've done two act- movies with the same actor, yeah. and you yep. start getting these matches popping up. Uh, so, for example, um, I ended up with two Andy Samberg, and I'm like, why have I got two Andy Samberg? What else was he in? <laughs> And it turns out he voiced someone in Across the Spider-Verse, and I'm like, oh, okay, yep. all right, I've got two Andy Samberg. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays uh, Ben Riley. Yeah, so there's very, a, very a bunch, I've got a bunch of twos so far in the actors. I've got 11 doubles. What else did you watch with Andy Samberg in it? Uh, Self-Reliance, I watched that yesterday. Gotcha. I didn't realize he was in that. Yeah, well, it's a Lonely Island uh, movie, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's written, directed, and starring Jake Johnson. 
I know it's on my list, and a lot of people aren't liking it, which now I'm worried. It, it, uh, it's 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 a six out of ten. You know, it's it's yeah, a six. Yeah, it, it exists. It's there. Mm-hmm. It's unoffensive for the most part. Oh, sounds like I like it. <laughs> uh, my only my only double and director so far is Wes Craven. Uh, yeah, but so it's early days yet. We'll see how this changes. Like, how many of these actors that are on two will even be in the top twenty by the end of the year? Yeah. I don't know. I love seeing how that stuff works out. Well, also, so what were the two Escravings? I know one of them was Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, uh, the other one was Deadly Friend, Deadly which Friend. okay, I did with Tim on a bonus episode of Screams After Midnight. Uh, yeah. It's a crazy movie. It's the movie he did right after Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, okay. In it's one of them I've not seen. Yeah. It's got a very crazy plot. It's got a young uh, Kristen Swanson mm-hmm. in it. And there's a famous clip of it that I had seen for years, like for, for like a decade on the internet, either in GIF form or in clip mm-hmm. form, of a basketball doing something to someone. And I was excited to finally see the movie it was in, but the plot was way crazier than I was... Uh, Matt's Googling... Deadly friend gif. I bet you he yep. is right now. <laughs> All you have to do is type in deadly friend. The first thing that comes up is basketball. Yep, yep. So. There you go. Yep. Yep. Is this along the lines of garbage day? What, in quality? Not in quality, but in just like sheer lunacy where if you didn't know what was good, like, if you don't know where it's from, mm-hmm. it just makes you question, like, what the hell? Honestly, the plot's crazier than Selenite Deadly Night 2. Okay, well, what's this on? So, like, is this streaming? Did you? Is this from a West Craven collection? Uh, um, I I purchased it on iTunes for okay. uh, I I believe seven ninety nine. So, gotcha. <laughs> you can make your choice. I think Tim got like a special edition Blu Ray that he got like last yeah. year. So, uh, yeah. I, usually, when Tim watches stuff, his his collecting has gone way out of control. Like, usually, when people have kids, they stop collecting. Tim has doubled down. And just the number of stuff that he's constantly well, posting. Well, he never gets to go out, so collecting's his yeah. one, his one vice. True. <laughs> True. But I'm just like, the, the movie collections that he's picking up, and I know he's getting them for, like, deals. I just, man, whew, there's some weird stuff in there. To, hey, but to be fair, deadly friend. since I started buying movies on iTunes, like, in 2021, I've kind of went out of control. I've got almost 500 yeah. movies that way now. Uh, wow! But you know, I, I buy most of them when they're on sale for like four or five dollars. Like you know, so they they rack up quite a bit. Gotcha. So. Well, I, I don't want to. Oh man, that's the mom. Uh, that's uh, the mom, the evil mom from Goonies. Oh yeah, Mama Fratelli's in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll just to, like, I'll, I'll just just to describe my feelings on this movie. And if you want my full review, everyone is a Patreon bonus episode of Screams After Midnight or Horror Movie Podcast, but. <laughs> What? <laughs> the, the GIF. It finally, it finally right. I found it. It was a lot of video, and I don't want to play video because the sound and whatever. Sure, 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 yeah. So I had a fight, I because I just put it in the basketball, so I finally found the GIF, and now it's replaying over and over. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, so just, I d- knew nothing about this movie other than that clip of the basketball and a certain yep. head going pop. Um, the first 20 seconds of this movie feature uh, a thief breaking into a car going through a purse that's been left in the car which is its own little question mark because why did the mum mm-hmm. leave the purse in there when she was going to pay for something that's a very weird choice but out of nowhere from the back seat of the, the van 
is a robot hand comes out and grabs him by the throat and he gets scared. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, there's a robot in this? Yes, a robot that a teenager built is pivotal to the plot of Deadly Friend. So it is definitely like a, a dark version of Short Circuit. Uh, I mean, without the government, of course, but by the way, if you guys want to rent this, if this sounds like something, you can get it on iTunes for rental for $3. Yeah, so. the rental's fine. Yeah, the rental's uh, a reasonable yeah. price. Yeah. Um, so it's not hard to find in that sense. It's just, it's just not on a streaming service. Um, no. it, it's part short circuit, part mm-hmm. Frankenstein. And one third Tammy and the T-Rex. <laughs> That's not, that's, you know what, that's not as crazy as you, you probably just guessed yeah. that. It's not as crazy no. as you, you maybe thought, but mm-hmm. possibly. I'm, I'm judging just from the gif and it being Christy Swanson. I'm taking some gambles here with the story. So <laughs> I'll just yeah. say for years, I didn't know in that gif that she was actually just a human body possessed by yeah. the robot mind of a <laughs> robot that someone built. It had yeah. some weird problems. Anyway. Sometimes. Uh, yeah, man, I... I Rest in peace, Wes Craven, because regardless how you feel about the movies, they, they're always good for a talk. Oh, yeah. You know? For the record, it's not a great movie in any objective level, but it's mm-hmm. definitely worth discussion. <laughs> like, there's, there's, yeah. It does stuff. Like You can't deny weird stuff's yeah. happening, so there's stuff to talk about. Well, it's like Shocker, too, as well, right? You wouldn't just say that Shocker's a great movie, but you can talk about it. Yeah, so... Uh, I wasn't expecting to talk about Deadly Friends so much in this episode, no? but here we are. Uh, here we go. Yeah. If you want to see a proper 80s horror movie that's fun with robots, check out, check out Chopping Mall. It's the it's the go-to classic. And that is on Shudder, because it's been in my Shudder queue for a minute now, which I probably will give it a watch on Sunday, finally. Which also has a pretty good head explosion in it, for the yeah. record. Right? Not the yep. best, because the best is Scanners. Nothing will probably yes. ever top Scanners, no. but... Yeah, Cronenberg knows it had explosions. That is Cronenberg, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I was questioning myself for a hot second. Yep, that's Cronenberg. So, anywho, so it's a comics podcast, everyone, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get into uh, uh, Matt's favorite segment of the show, which mm-hmm. is the Comixology Top 10. Um, so, yes, are the Kindle store rankings as of time of looking at them which is not as catchy, but I'll say it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we'll look at Tuesday first because they split them up by days. So this is the DC day. Matt, what do you think is number one from DC? Uh, do I want to go tie-in or do I want to go... Man. I'll, I'll jump. I will say because of, of Beast World, I'll go with Titans. Incorrect. That's incorrect. All right. Pivoting from Beast World, uh, Wonder Woman. That is correct. There it is. All Wonder right. Woman. So should have... Yeah. Yep, that is ranking number one right now. Uh, number two is Batman Superman World's Finest. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's impressive enough. Uh, mm-hmm. Perhaps even more impressive is number three is Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong. That, yeah, the heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> people, people are into it. They're into the crossover. Uh, four is Nightwing. Five is Superman. Six is Titans. Seven is Superman Lost. Eight is Hellblazer. Nine is Jay Garrick, The Flash. Ten is Green Lantern, War Journal. So that's how that shapes up. Uh, I, I could do with Green Lantern, War Journal being up a bit, but... I feel like our two favorite writers, right? Well, I'm, I'm talking here. Two of our favorite writers, 
Tolkien and Johnson and Ram V are both. I like to think they're making it in physical sales. I, I hope so. Me, you know, because both of their names tend to end up near the bottom of the comicsology list. But I, I mean, everyone's talking about them, at least the people that I know. Um, I got to recommend Ramby's Swamp Thing to a friend last night. He was looking for comic recommendations. So, and he's like, oh, I did hear about that. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah, spread the good word. Spread the good word. Mm-hmm. All right. Wednesday, looking at Marvel and the mm-hmm. other uh, publishers, what, what do you think number one is? Let's see. There's a new Avengers book, but I don't know if it's a continuity thing. <laughs> there's also an X-Men. I'm looking to see if there's any big... Uh, any big independent that I might miss, like, uh, so I'll just, I'll guess X-Men 30. Wrong. Really? Is it the Avengers Twilight? Wrong. Oh my goodness. Nothing else is popping up. Hmm. What could it be? What, what could it be? It's not Jackpot, right? <laughs> no, because <laughs> that's that's the only that's the first tie-in that I'm seeing. But I was like, mm. yeah, I have no oh, jackpot. Don't, don't let it be. Don't let it be cable. <laughs> no, it's not cable. Okay, all right. I'm I'm out of guesses, and I have no idea what it could be. It's not a Marvel book. Okay. It's is it Cobra Commander? Is Cobra Commander? Bah, I wasn't even thinking. Yes. Uh, apparently even Wednesday's not safe from mediocre Joshua Williamson comic books because Cobra Commander's out. <laughs> so he's doing Cobra Commander and G.I. Joe, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, I two is a pair make a lot of sense for sure. Uh, that's what I mean. And so I didn't think that was him. That's why I just, I was like, Neh. I thought it was just part of the G.I. Joe launch. So. Yeah, um, number two is Avengers Twilight. Number three is X-Men. Number four is Invincible Iron Man. Five is Cable. Six is Daredevil. Seven is G.I. Joe. Uh, eight is Amazing Spider-Man. That seems low for Amazing Spider-Man, but mm-hmm. uh, fair enough. Nine is Fantastic Four. And number 10 is the previously mentioned Jackpot. Mm. Is that a Mary Jane book? Is that what that is? I believe so, because okay. it's... Um, I, well, I think she was meant to... I don't know if it is Mary Jane or if it was meant to be like representative of Mary Jane in, in the Spider-Verse stuff. Uh, but this is the game more tie-in. Oh yeah, no, it is her. It's Mary Jane's jackpot. So okay, yeah. So, but yeah, game more tie-in. Um, the cable. Why I said it can't be cable was back back in the early days when when me and Pete first met uh, in one of the Facebook comic groups we were in. Pete was responsible for holding countdowns, and his number two reveal for most things would always end up being cable as as a troll. Um, so uh, that's that's the most relevant Cable's been in a very long time to me so yep yep so there's the the Comet Solids top 10 or whatever weird long form title that I can't remember I said earlier Uh, well that'll take us out to solicits these are the solicits for April of 2024 we'll work our way through I've not looked at these I don't know why Poison Ivy's at the top of the list, but uh, we'll we'll start with that. Poison Ivy twenty one. Uh, this is random. Cover? Yeah, yeah. Oh sure, but I just it's really random. Usually they'll put something if if they're going to break alphabetical for some reason, it'll be because oh they want to promote this book. It feels... I'm wondering if it because it says that it, the uh, it's 
Uh, comes was in the final chapter, G. Will Wilson and Takara's unforgettable origin of species storyline. So I'm wondering if this is the final issue. Um, mm, but it doesn't say that, though. Sorry. It doesn't say final issue. But, yeah. but they maybe stopped doing that because I feel like there was there were yeah. some examples recently of not of them not saying that, but it was the final issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of sound like it could be based on the description. Yep. So maybe this may actually be your final Poison Ivy issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe the end of their run at the very least. Uh, okay. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, Action Comics 1064. This is the first of the Williamson issues that will tie into uh, mm-hmm. a storyline with Superman. Fair enough, I guess. I don't have much yeah, to say. Yeah, House of Brainiac. So he's been seeding this since he started Superman, right? The Brainiac stuff? Yeah, there's been a, a few things here or there. <clears throat> Oh. Yeah, I mean oh. it was it was mainly in that uh, special issue though. There was that yeah. story at the back that did that. Mm. What was that? Was that uh, Superman eight hundred that did that? I think I believe so. Uh, we have Shazam issue ten, uh, which looks delightful. Mm-hmm. We got uh, our T Rex accountant in the foreground, and we've got mm-hmm. like a house with the the front removed so we can see inside it. Oh wow! There is a new creative team on there. Oh, so as what's interesting about that actually is that the writer on this issue is Josie Campbell, who was doing mm-hmm. the Mary Marvel stuff. So I wonder if this is a permanent change, or if this is a case mm-hmm. of like a little fill-in issue or arc, and she's kind of second in command because she's the one doing Mary Marvel books. Uh, so reading reading the text there is as fine out as a new run brought to you by fan favorites Josie ah, Campbell okay. and Emanuela Lupacino, which. Guys, watch out. I'm never going to shut up about this book now. Oh, yeah, because you've been so quiet about it up until this point. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're giving me like more, I like more fantastic, but Lupacino is one of my favorite, Look, you know, I artists working. I have been loving Mark Wade's Shazam. Um, mm-hmm. It's sad that he's coming to an end on it. However, if I was to pick a replacement based on that previous Mary Marvel mini and mm-hmm. uh, the current Amazon's Attack book, uh, Josie Campbell would be at the top of the list. Uh, my only concern is now that it won't sell as well, and they therefore may not last that much longer. Yeah, but, you know, but uh, it must be selling okay enough to keep letting Josie Campbell run this Mary Marvel story, right? Uh, possibly, but I mean, maybe the hope is is that because Wade came in and started this book off and gave yeah. it some decent sales, that they're hoping that that'll rub off on the book mm. continuing. Uh, but we'll see. I hope it does. I I, I do hope that works. Yeah. But uh, I'm just concerned that we'll like this, but it'll still end after six more issues just because yeah. it's not selling amazingly. But here's hoping because uh, I'm all for it. And it does look like it's continuing the plot threads yeah. that Wade set up because it's all about them moving house, which obviously has already been set mm-hmm. up in the previous issue. So that's Shazam issue 10. Uh, we have DC's Spring Breakout. This is their spring 80-page mm-hmm. anthology book uh, with a bunch of names. I... You know, I recognize a couple of names in here, but no one huge. You know, obviously, no. Megan Fritz Martin seems to always be in these anthology books yeah. these days. Joey Esposito's in there. Uh, but yeah, n- nothing super to write home about. Uh, yeah, looking at the art side too, there's Georgiev and Paul Pelletier. So, other than that, there's also a bunch of new names, which I do like these as showcase for up and coming, you know, writers and artists getting to work on these characters, you know, without having a book. Sure. Uh, 
We have the Harley Quinn 2024 Annual. Uh, this is by Erica Henderson, both writing and drawing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, we have Batman 146. So. Yep. I, 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 I see... I see villains as if they're the Waynes on that cover. Maybe that's my my. I'm just interpreting it that way. But I see villains lying as if they've been shot in Crime Alley. <laughs> yeah, because it's Punchline Joker, and it looks like Riddler. Yeah. So with with Batman uh, cow covered in blood. Yeah, mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, free Comic Day special Barda, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a Free Comic Deal. Barkham Asylum. So these are just teases for those uh, graphic novels. Uh, there's also a free comic book day Mad Magazine special. Uh, the thing we're going to really talk about here, though, uh, this is obviously their main thing for free comic book day, is, mm-hmm. I don't know why Matt finds it so funny, but... <laughs> uh, so the way that they titled it so they don't give anything away, it's the free comic book day DC major event 2024 free comic book day special edition. It's, uh, it's definitely clunky in its current form. Obviously, yes. by the time it comes out, it'll have a... Well, easier title i presume it'll be whatever the event is here's here's the description though just if there's any clues here uh the prelude to the biggest dc comics event of 2024 is here it's a story 30 years in the making and this special free comic book detail is the final domino and a fall of an epic scheme that comes tumbling down and the dc universe will never be the same more details coming soon so this has just got a black cover with no details on it i i i 30 years is interesting because 30 years takes us back to about 1994. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm wondering, when was Zero Hour? That was about... That, that was 93, 94. Yeah, that was Final a... Night, Zero Hour. I was having the same... I was mm. having the same exact thoughts you were just now about Zero Hour. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may not even tie in. Maybe, I mean, 30 years may not even be... Ta- supposed to be literally exactly 30 years. It may just be a broad number. True. But... True, but what other events in the 90s? I mean, you had the death of Superman, but we just had the 30th of, right? Uh, Nightfall, but that wasn't like a... That wasn't like a... a that was a Batman event, right? But not a, a whole DC. So my Brady immediately I, I, goes to Zero Hour. Yeah, Zero Hour seems lately... I, but I, I could see it being death of Superman related. I could see it being something yeah. to do with Doomsday. Like so, like someone's cloning Doomsday or something. Mm-hmm. There's like a whole army of Doomsdays. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying that's a good idea. It's just no. That that's like the the uh, what were they? The, were they called the the Dark Knights from DC Metal? The different versions of Batman. The Dark Knights of Steel. Yeah, no, that was the, the other book. Um, what were well, they called? Well, that's the metal one. You're talking about the ba- the Dark Batman from the multi the Dark Multiverse, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Batman who last came from, and then you had like the Aquaman version, and you know. That this is what I, I if it was an army of doomsdays, you know, there's gonna be a flash doomsday, there'll be a, a wonder doomsday, you know, all that type of stuff. I mean, that would just be copying that. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's going to be that, or they will rightly get made fun of for doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detective Comics one thousand eighty four. Obviously, we we kind of know what the end date mm-hmm. is now on Ramvi's run. Very nice cover though. Yep. Uh, you know, cool to see. Uh, Batman and Robin issue eight. Uh, yeah, not much to add there. Batman Off World issue five. That's a very interesting cover. Uh, very, That's very, very creepy looking Cenobite looking. 
I don't like them. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, aliens, I guess they are. Uh, yeah. Possibly demons. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Bat- Batman Dark Age issue two. This is the Mark Russell mini, which I presume mm-hmm. is in last month's solicits as well. Yep. Uh, we have Catwoman sixty four. Uh, she's got a cat-eared space helmet on the cover, mm-hmm. which is amusing. I'll, I'll give it's it that. Very mid-century sci-fi vibes. Mm. We have Batman Brave and the Bold issue 12, uh, so that that's still going. Um, we have Nightwing 113, which is also issue 300, which... Let me just double check my numbers. I think this confirms I've I've been right. Yep. Yeah. This week's issue is two nine seven, which means I have had the right legacy numbering. Therefore, when I tell you that Green Lantern's issue five hundred and forty something, you know I'm right, right? They've they've just admitted it. What's funny about this is that once again, Superman this week didn't have the legacy numbering on the cover, mm-hmm. unless it's on the physical one, but it's just not on the digital version. But I doubt right. that somehow. Uh, so, but it's nice to see them acknowledge that this is issue three hundred. That's or, uh, or just or you're just really good at counting dick. Well, I know I've got one. <laughs> uh, it was there. I had to take it. Uh, I can only speculate as to the number of dicks you've got. <laughs> I just meant you know you you're so sure, but it was your three hundredth. That's why. Uh, yes, it's the three hundredth uh, dick. Uh, um. <laughs> oh yeah so yeah uh it seems to be a regular size five dollar book which is what it normally is with the backup mm-hmm. uh so you know maybe they'll do something special inside um, yeah it definitely seems like it's going to be a celebration of dick Grayson, so i'm I'm wondering what taylor has planned because you know yeah there's still a backup listing i thought they may give the whole page mm-hmm. count to the just the main story since it's a special yeah. issue but it's still uh, got the backup so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's got an interesting cover. It's doing that redondo thing of like mm-hmm. running through the various, uh, you yeah. know, uh, blocks and panels. Uh, but cool, 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 cool. Uh, we have also have a Nightwing twenty twenty four annual. Uh, but this mm-hmm. is written and drawn by Travis Moore. I don't know if I've ever read anything written by Travis Moore before. Me neither. Interesting. Uh, Secret Origins of uh, Bea Bennett. So. Yep, Pirate Queen. So, I'll admit I'm not that excited by that. I I, I want to see what Moore's got. I'll, I'll head back to the pirate realm. I'm, I'm curious about Travis Moore writing. Yeah. I'm just not that interested in the origin of the pirate lady. <laughs> yeah. Because pirates suck and they're boring. So <laughs> <laughs> we have Harley Quinn 39. Uh, not much to add there. We have Birds of Prey issue 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's neat. Um, is that Vixen on the cover of that? Uh, Indeed, it's Vixen. Interesting, very nice. Uh, yeah, Marie McCabe, yeah, yeah, on the description. Very good. Very cool. Uh, art by Javier Pina on this issue. I don't think I recognize that name. Do you know a Javier Pina? I do not. No, interesting. Uh, another fill-in artist then uh, on issue yep. eight. Um, so cool. Uh, we have Outsiders issue six. Oh, that's a very interesting cover. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, Batwoman mowing the lawn in a suburban area, and you've got uh, Luke as the mailman. But the, the really impressive thing is that the coloring's only in the foreground, and as mm-hmm. the image goes back, it just becomes uh, black and white and 
uh, untextured. Yeah, it's yeah. almost it's it's just a very interesting visual overall. But uh, yeah, uh, this has been an interesting book so far. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious. Uh, we have Red Hood the Hill issue three. I forgot this was going to be a thing, but as did I. I think we said that the last two times. Probably, probably. Well, yeah. well, not the first time. The first time it'd been, hey, what's this new thing? Yeah. So, hey. Uh, we are Batman Superman World's Finest, issue 26. Let's go. There you got Batmite and Mixipidilic on the cover. We also have Doom Mate, apparently. Oh, no. Yeah, maybe that's what it's setting up. Maybe Mark Wade's writing the new, and, and it's Doom Mate for the free comic book day special. Mm, pardon me. I do wonder if uh, Wade's off Shazam if he's doing something else as well as yeah. World's Finest. Uh, I hope he is. Uh, we have Penguin issue 9. So, oh, cool. what a happy family in that picture that's broken. Yes, with the, the tint of red that just implies <laughs> a blood stain underneath as well, just for uh, good measure. It's got a, yeah, I got a Gia Domenico cover, so that's cool. Mm. Uh, we have Superman issue 13. Uh, this is also part of the House of Brainiac. This is mm-hmm. part two, so good to know. Uh, we have Superman House of Brainiac special issue one. Uh, so this is basically the annual for this, yeah, because uh, it's on the that fifth week of the month. So this is cool. It means you get part three of this. Uh, well, it says part two point five technically, but yeah. whatever. Uh, it's basically part three of the storyline and you it, it, it does mean that the it should feel like an event because we're going to have three parts of it in one month so cool uh power girl issue eight is the thing that's going mm-hmm. to exist uh we also have suicide squad dream tween tween dream, <laughs> dream, dream tween dream team issue yeah. two uh this is the nicole mains book we got yep. Sinister Sons issue three. This is obviously the uh, the 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 son of uh, what Sinestro. Sinestro, yep, Sinestro and Lord Zod. We have Neil before Zod issue four. We have Wonder Woman issue eight, uh, with a very very striking cover, might I add. Uh, Wonder Woman really pops against those muted blue backgrounds. Yep. We have the Flash issue eight. We also have a Flash Annual 2024, uh, again, coming out on that fifth week in April. It's always mm-hmm. nice to see at least a few annuals on that fifth week, because yeah. sometimes you get, you get like, all the books we're not reading get annuals, and we're like, oh mm-hmm. shit, what are we going to talk about? You know? Yep. I suppose if there's literally none, we'll just have a week off, which maybe that'd be nice, but oh well. We got yeah. annuals. Uh, Speed Force issue six, which is the final issue of that book, so in April... We have Titans issue 10. Uh, Lucas Meyer on the art in this one, who has been impressing us so far. Yep. Excited for that. Looks like they're doing Trigon, judging from the multiple sets of eyes. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Uh, We got Green Arrow issue 11. Uh, That's going on. We got Green Lantern issue 10. Uh, Art by Zermanico and Kevin Maguire. Not that I necessarily think of them as being similar, but I do like Kevin Maguire's art, so it's not a bad second name to read. Yeah, so this is... I think that's a... Uh, is it a backup? I th- is this uh, plus... Plus Kevin Maguire joins Green Lantern architect Jeremy so. Adams yeah. to tell the tale of Guy Gardner, the United Planets, Lobo, and Wrestling? Question mark. So, you, you, Matt, you're getting your wish. You're getting the Guy Gardner chases Lobo story as a backup. Uh, I'm excited... It's called Guy's Bogus Lobo Adventure, part one of three. So, so you're getting a backup with art by Kevin Maguire. 
uh, with yeah. Guy chasing a Lobo. Congratulations, Matt. You must be Thank very you. happy. I'm mm. winning. Yeah. Uh, Green Lantern War Journal issue eight. That's a great cover. That is, man, Montez is killing that. Yep, yep. With the with the gradient going on there, where you know, white and black, blue and red. Yeah, it looks real cool. We got Blue Beetle issue eight. Mm-hmm. We got Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong issue seven, which is the final issue uh, mm-hmm. in April. So uh, I'm actually glad I read that because I would have assumed that was six issues. So yeah, nice to be reminded that it's seven. We have Suicide Squad Kill Arkham Asylum issue four. Obviously, this is tying into the, the video yep. game that's coming out. We have Superman 78, The Metal Curtain issue six. We have Justice Society of America issue 11, which I don't think any of them have been delayed recently, so uh, that might still be on track for then. We have Batman Dylan Dog issue 2. I'm sure I said this last time, but I don't know who mm-hmm. Dylan Dog is, so fair, I'll just... Yeah. And we went over, it's an Italian detective character. Fair enough. Like from, from, from Italy, yeah. There's a Batman and Robin and Howard issue 2. Who's Howard? I believe he's the kid here. <laughs> Good detective skills, Matt. I was hoping for more than look that. Look at that. My mom didn't even wear pearls. Uh, we have Primer issue two. And we got Batman Scooby Doo Mysteries issue four. We have Scooby Doo Where Are You 127. Uh, from the DC Vaults, the Sandman oh. issue 19 remastered. So that's a thing. Uh, we still have some stuff though we have the, the Black Label stuff seemingly because we got the Batman First Night issue 2 this is the Dan Jurgens and Mike Perkins book uh, that's the, oh, your, your, I forgot your pres- about this yeah I forgot about this too the Prestige Plus that cover is pretty pretty yeah because this is the Batman right this is like the Batman from you know Detective 27 uh, those ears that. yeah those mm-hmm. ears would certainly imply as such uh, but yeah, it's like negative space, but then inside the shape of the Batman, you've got all the actual art of various mm-hmm. characters in the story. It looks very, very nice. Uh, so yeah, very intrigued to check out that. There's also John Constantine Hellblazer Dead in America. This is issue four of nine by Cy Spurrier and Aaron Campbell. Uh, then we got Brave and the Bold 54 facsimile edition, Showcase 22 facsimile edition, uh, and then we're on to the collections and graphic novels and whatnot. Uh, finally, we get the Cami Garcia, Gabe Piccolo Starfire book. Uh, is that a sequel? Well, yeah, so they've been working their way through the Titans, right? So oh, okay, got, I see, I see. Yeah, we had Beast Boy, Raven, now I, I think there's a cyborg, and now we got Starfire, so... Alright, uh, we also have Prez, mm-hmm. setting a dangerous president, uh, with the collection for Justice League versus mm-hmm. Godzilla versus Kong solicited. Uh, that's going to a hardcover to begin with. Uh, there's Batman Catwoman the Gotham War uh, hardcover. I can't say I recommend that. Nope, <laughs> just don't. But uh, it's got the two issues of Batman, two issues of Catwoman, and then all the one-issue specials and whatnot that made it up. Yeah. Uh, we have Batman Beyond Neo Gothic in hardcover. We have Nightwing Volume 5 in hardcover. Uh, that's issues 101 to 105. Uh, so that, that was the lead-in to Titans starting, actually, because this is mm-hmm. the one, this is the story that all the Titans and Nightwing. Uh, that feels kind of late, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. A little bit, right? Yeah, what's taking that so long to come out? Because that was a while ago. Uh, we have Green Lantern Volume 1 back in action. Uh, this is just going straight to soft cover. Uh, 
uh, weirdly, but hey, maybe they'll do a nice deluxe hardcover down the line, who knows. Uh, notably, it does include the two Night Towers Green Lantern issues. I guess they felt they had to because the cliffhanger of issue two kind of led into it. But... Yeah, and you and you can't even just like skip it though either. Like you can't just put it behind, like you know, put one through six and then Night Terrors one to two. Well, because of that. Yeah, but only, that's the thing though. When you come back for issue three, the Night Terrors didn't matter at all. So it's just annoying right. that that cliffhanger yeah. almost necessitates that you in some way have those in there uh, although to be honest like without the main story explaining why the night terrors are happening mm-hmm. i don't think it actually explains anything it'll just feel like two no. really weird issues so uh, that's yeah. a shame but hey yeah. uh it's been a good book so far though so minor nitpick all things considered uh hot girl once upon a galaxy soft cover of that miniseries mm-hmm. uh titans volume one out of the shadows soft cover shazam volume one meet the captain soft cover Red Hood Outlaws Volume 2, uh, Vixen uh, NYC Volume 6, mm-hmm. we have Danger Street Volume 2, uh, this is soft cover. this is definitely getting a deluxe hardcover with all of it uh, down the line, uh, yep. so if you want to wait for that, then, you know, mm-hmm. uh, brace yourself for oh, it. Oh my goodness. Uh, we have Identity Crisis 20th uh, Anniversary Deluxe Edition, so that's getting the deluxe hardcover treatment oh jeez I don't like that that's getting a 20th anniversary I don't like time <sighs> hey Matt yeah I was having I had this realisation as I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street uh I know I yesterday. know what you're gonna say about that and scream yeah only 12 years apart yeah and like you said they feel like two <sighs> separate eras they do they feel, so... they feel like just completely different times but 12 yeah. years ago from today is 2012. That's the year Avengers and Dark Knight Rises came out, just right, to put that in right. perspective. I, I saw someone talking, someone else talking about this, about how time, how weird the time dilation is, and they're trying to figure out why that is. Why movies that, like, as they're bringing up New Girls, uh, New Girls, Mean Girls, the new the new musical, um, and all of that, and, you know, that movie came out 20 years ago, but it doesn't feel like it was 20 years ago. Uh, and just all this weird stuff. Well, then... well, well, well. I think this is an age thing, Matt. I think someone mm-hmm. who is 15, mm-hmm. I think 20 years ago to them feels like an eternity. Because everything before I'm born feels like it's way in the past, even if the actual t- amount of time is not that far. Right. But like, even, but even like you just pointed out with the stuff from the 90s, right? Something like that thing you do came out in 96. You know what I mean? That feels like a completely different era of movie making, you know, uh, despite being closer in time. Uh, uh, I don't know, formulas have become more mm-hmm. uh, stingent, so a lot of the studio stuff mm-hmm. feels kind of yeah. samey, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, I think part of it is that franchises go f- like more like steadily, so you're still getting MCU movies you know, mm-hmm. 14, 15 years later. Uh, when back in the day, your your movie franchise would have been over in five years. Uh, or, or you had stuff like Bond, which, which kept going, right? So you at the end of the connery era into the other ones like they all feel a little bit different you know they they're whereas i don't I think honestly matt though i think most of this is just an age thing i think it's the perspective of us like, because of the age we are maybe maybe but like the the thing about the 20 years different like you pointing out with scream and stuff too that, that was, as i was going before you went off on the diatribe is i i saw that video and then i saw your tweet within like a day of each other and it was just weird that this seems to be a, a thing that we're thinking about right now. Yeah. <clears throat> so, anywho, uh, 
That's that. We have Batman Beyond the White Knight getting a soft cover. Batman the Knight getting a soft cover. Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths getting a soft cover. Uh, Dark Crisis Young Justice getting a soft cover. JLA Year One getting a new soft cover. I'm excited for that. Now it's one that has slipped by me, so I might not have to pick that up. Uh, Nightwing Volume 3, The Battle for Bloodhaven's Heart soft cover. So glad Uh, that's the cover. That's a beautiful cover. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's wild that that Titans arc is only just getting its hardcover, Mm -hmm. and we're only on this part for the soft covers. This is so far behind. It's kind of nuts. Poison Ivy Volume 1, The Virtuous Circle Mm -hmm. uh, soft cover. Secret Six by Gail Simone Omnibus Volume 1. So Let's go! Uh, get, that's getting a two-part omnibus. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's got uh, Villains United 1 through 6, Villains United Infinite Crisis Special, Birds of Prey, Secret... Yeah, there's a whole lot in here that's not just Secret Six. Yeah, um, um, yeah there's a whole arc of Birds of Prey, and then yeah. there's the Secret Six miniseries, which is six uh-huh. issues, and then the first 16 issues of the ongoing Secret Six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously the rest of the series will be in the second omnibus. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Uh, with Super Sons, the complete collection, book one, so that's getting those big, thick, soft covers. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, 500 or so pages each. Uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, Volume 3, finishing Tom Taylor's run in the soft cover. Tales from Dark Crisis, uh, collection of a lot of those one-shots and stuff from yep. from Dark Crisis. Uh, we have Justice. Sorry, we have Batman Justice Buster Volume Three. It's the we, manga. Yeah, we have Batman Scooby Doo Mysteries Volume Four. We have the Batman Family Year One box set, uh, which is the Chuck Dixon Year One yeah. box of it. So it looks like it's Nightwing, Batgirl, and Robin Year One. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and then we have the Flash by William Mesner Lobes and Greg Larock Omnibus Volume One. I actually don't know what era this is off the top of my head. Where are we going to look? Uh, 1 to 100... Oh, wait. Is this the start of Volume 2? Is this, like, pre-Mark Wade? It, it must be, because it says following the death of Barry Allen, so that would ah. put this post, post-crisis firmly. Uh, well, Wade starts a... Where does he start in Flash? It's, like, the 50s or something, I think. So this might only have two volumes, and then you've got the Wade books. Yeah, so it's 1 through 28, Flash Annual 1 through 3, Manhunter 8 and 9, Secret Origins 2, I mean, and Pages from Invasion 2 and 3. That's hey, so funny. I appreciate that they're trying to make a lot of their biggest characters completely readable mm-hmm. since Crisis. I think that's great. Yeah. So, And I think this era of Flash gets ignored because it's like no one cares until Wade came on board. And yeah, yeah maybe these, these issues aren't amazing or anything, but... It's great that they should be, you know, they should be available. They should, you should be able to read Flash from issue one, from post crisis all the way to today, and that's just nice to see. Uh, we also have Hitman by Garth Ennis and John McCrea on the Biz Volume One. Fair enough, mm-hmm. and that wraps up the solicits for April. All right, yeah. there you go. Cool. That's uh, that's the solicits. Um, not a lot of juicy stuff in the collections there, but the two things that stuck out there would be Secret Six Omnibus Volume 1 and that Flash Omnibus Volume 1. Uh, those are the ones that I think stick out as being interesting things to collect. So uh, so real quick, fun fun things about this guy, about that Flash collection. Yeah. I just went to pull up the writer. 
and he's the creator of Linda Park. So he okay. introduced Linda to, to the Flash and Throws. I mean, that makes sense, because it's Wally's yeah. ongoing book for the first time. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm trying to see where else. Um, but yeah, it just says he began writing Flash with issue 15 and continued to 61. So I'm, I'm wondering what's 1 through 28 then too. So, yeah. Wait, what? But, what are you so about? it says here, according to this article, that he started writing Flash at issue 15 and went through 61. Okay. Uh, well, there was yeah. multiple names on the omnibus there, so... Yeah. Yeah, it'll just be... Yeah, it's just going to be a case of you'll get two omnibuses and that'll take you up to Wade. That, that, that's, yeah. that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is cool. Uh, so... All right, let's get to the comics for the week then, shall we? Uh, we got some stuff to talk about. We'll start with <laughs> Superman issue 10, legacy number 853. This is Joshua Williamson and Bruno Redondo on art. So we'll get into this. Uh, so I-, I don't know how to feel, right? Because I-, I was super like rolling my eyes at the end of the last issue. of like, oh, he's in the Wild West now. He's went back mm-hmm. in time. And part of the reason why I was rolling my eyes is because I thought, oh, is this going to be a whole arc? And so the reason why I'm conflicted here is on the one hand, they're back in present day by the end of the issue. It was mm-hmm. a one issue thing. So on one hand, I should be quite positive about that. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, I also feel like not enough happened that it felt like it justified even bothering to do it in the first place. So yeah, why? Besides wanting to draw a Western Superman, which I get, like, cool, it's a vibe. I don't, I don't get it. Like, yeah, it was, it was such an unnecessary like, like what's the word like tangent? When, when you go off the yeah <laughs> tangent I guess. Or it's like when when you go off like on a road trip and you end up like taking a side road for nothing. A detour is the word you're yeah, looking for. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. It was an unnecessary detour. Um, I think the purpose in the story only really amounts to the idea that Superman had to be missing. Well, something mm-hmm. mysterious happens back at Supercorp. Because we get this tease yeah. at the start where the alarms start going off when Lois and mm-hmm. Mercy and Lena are looking for where Superman yeah. disappeared to, right? And then we don't see him the whole issue because we're back in the Wild West. Mm-hmm. And when we come back at the end, there's this tease of, oh, something bad went down here. And it's only... Is it Lena mm-hmm. that's left at the end? I'm not on the. I'm still yeah. on the first page, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, next issue, find out what happened in this time span. So the only real purpose is to keep Superman away and unaware of what's going on. Now, maybe some of the things that happened in the past is going to be important. I mean, we still have these two creepy kids and the mother who seem to be villains. Right. Well, it seemed to be Dr. Farm. That's the obvious assumption is is, is farming graft. Yeah. Right. And there's that. And then, you know, there's this thing with Marilyn Moonlight where there's there's this lady... That seeing it all go down, and Clark looks at her and is like, "Did you? Do you think you just inspired yourself?" So there's more in her. I do like the idea of that character, of this this pulpy Metropolis that still doesn't make sense to me because Metropolis is firmly on the eastern seaboard. It makes no sense why he looks like an old western town, but whatever. Um, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like they just wanted a western, man. That's all. Yeah, it is. Like, it's the same. It's the same with Gotham. Gotham's meant to be in that part of the country as well, and yet mm-hmm. you have All Star Western and like you know books like that that are set in Gotham back in the right. day. Right, uh, but like I just you know I so I like the idea of Marilyn Moonlight being this old pulpy, 
you know, defender of of Metropolis before, you know, Superman's even thought of. So it's playing with some fun things there and like the whole Well let's this... get let's get into that because mm-hmm. we learned some things here is that she was done. She died. Yeah. Like she she mm-hmm. had her time as a hero, seemingly yeah. in this old Western time period, because mm-hmm. we see what seems to be a younger version of her that she inspires mm-hmm. to to go and you know be who she is. Mm-hmm. And it's farming graft doing experiments uh-huh. on her to reanimate her that brought her back. But she only exists when there's moonlight. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem to affect her in the past, maybe because her real living version is also there at the same there, time. Yeah. But in present day, as soon as they get back to present day and the sun's out, she just fades away and Superman makes a promise to help her find out, like, yep. you know, or solve why she's back and like yeah. deal, deal with the people who did it. Yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. And, and poetically, the idea that Superman's charged by the sun and he's, you know... He he is the sunlight that that spreads across the land, and the fact that you know she's moonlight. I do like that, um, you know, that they seem to be opposites, um, almost like if it wasn't for Lois, almost like a doomed romance kind of thing. You know, he can he can only be out in the sun; she can only be in the moon. You know, there's that kind of dynamic. So, um, but yeah, this is such a weird issue. Like I still. Still trying to make heads and tails of it, you know. Uh, a lot of fun action though. Like they they do some. They're still on the train in this one, right? We get we get them the train going nah, through town. there's no real train stuff. It's uh, they're already in the town, and there's uh this villain at the saloon who's got a laser pistol. That's who's... yeah, that's correct. Yeah. It's Terror Man. Terror Man, right, yeah. Um, um, who you know, Clark or Clark basically challenges to a duel mm-hmm. and we we get that play out uh superman gets hit but he's well he's not at full strength yet he's still bulletproof yeah and you know is able to win at that point we, we, i mean the art's very good like if nothing yeah. else obviously it's bruno redondo on the art everything's gorgeous mm-hmm. uh terror man try to like get away in his little like hovercraft thing mm-hmm. and marlin moonlight lassoing him like all that stuff looks great right uh, like I can't fault the art. I can't fault the visuals. No, but... especially that first visual, right? It looks like from an old Western movie, like Stagecoach. You know, they're going across this this barren landscape. You know, and it's Clark on his white horse and Marilyn Moonlight on her her moonlight horse, and just the way that the you know the way that they're they're in the center of the screen and the rolling hills in the back and stuff. It really sets the mood. Um, and then when you get to the end and Superman's back in uh, current times and, you know, he, he goes around and cycles around the planet, you know, the, to me, those shots are very similar. You know, it's just the the whole setting the tone of what's going on here and kind of what the bigger picture is. So, yeah, Redondo's killing it on the art. I just wish the story could uh, was on par. Also, it seems like the mother or grandmother <laughs> of the kids mm-hmm. that we think are farming graft was a villain in this time period. Cause one of the panels yeah. of Marley Moonlight fighting a bad guy is fighting this woman who's in a tank of some kind. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a thing there, but she mentions that she grew old. She died with family surrounding her. Um, and then someone reanimated her like Frankenstein, <laughs> but yeah. she's only existing in the moonlight. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, an interesting bit of backstory. Like I'm okay with yeah. that. 
But like, you know, I, and I, maybe that's the, the the main purpose of this more than anything else is just to fill in some of Marlon Moonlight stuff, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I guess it's fine in that sense. Um, I, I just, I think the actual plot of when they're in the West, which is just uh-huh. Terra Man, and it all just like being, oh, let's go and get him at the saloon. Let's have a duel. Let's catch mm-hmm. him. That's it. It's over. He had the device that will let us get back home. That I, I find very underwhelming. I, I think mm-hmm. the, the teases of Marlon Moonlight are fine, but everything with the actual villain and the plot of what they're doing in the past is just kind of eh. Uh, but like you said, the gorgeous art, particularly when he mm-hmm. gets back to present day and he's flying around the earth and he's yeah. saving the cat and whatever else. Yeah, he's doing like Superman stuff. Is what you think about when you know he's he's helping put out the fire with the fire department and he's saving all the cat from a tree for a little girl. Um, and just the way that Redondo draws him going around, it's very reminiscent of the Superman movie, right? Of him flying around the planet. So uh, yeah. But yeah, so when he hands it back at, at Supercore and Lena's there, uh, he gets knocked out by a, a kryptonite grenade, right? Uh, and it's the, the Lex Luthor Revenge Squad uh, with the chain, farm, and graft, and then someone in a Lex Luthor armor uh, whose face is hidden. So I think that that's an interesting that they're using Lex's stuff. Yeah, that'll be a reveal. I mean, I think even before we get to that, though, there's just there's a bit of tension as he comes in and he doesn't hear mm-hmm. anyone. He's, like, shouting for Lois yeah. and Mercy and no one's answering. Um, and then Lena comes running out and sort of says, fly mm-hmm. away, because she knows he's in danger. And that's mm-hmm. when the kryptonite grenade comes out. Uh, so, yeah, apparently we're going to get Lena Luthor versus the Revenge Squad next issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I I don't know like I'm I'm very middling on this this run, yeah. uh, thus far. Art's very good here, but I I mm-hmm. I find myself just not loving the creative choices. Like I, I yeah. either like because I, I think the whole the whole problem with the Western stuff in this issue is that not only do I feel like if this is all it was going to be, it seems like it wasn't worth the time. Yeah. Obviously, I know we went on to say, oh, it teases some of this Marlon Moonlight stuff and it gets her to open up to Superman. But that's kind of my problem, is that it, it, after the the tease of her looking at herself in the past, it's just yeah. her explaining it all to Superman. It's not actually a story that plays out in the past that solely reveals right. parts of it. Right. And I almost would have preferred like Superman having to lay low. Like He's not supposed to be in the past, right? So he has to watch this all unfold, which for someone like Superman... That's very hard for him to do. Just let things happen, right? Um, and that would add some tension and some, you know, uh, beyond beyond tension, it adds some real character work to him. Uh, but I but mean, yeah, they, like, they, they they loosely mention that he can't affect the past, but all that really boils down to is I won't wear my outfit because no one can uh-huh. recognize that in the future. Uh, right. So I he just he goes about in cowboy outfits, and that's mm-hmm. fine, and that's all it takes. Right. I, I guess the argument is is because he's interacting with another time traveler who shouldn't be there anyway. Right. That it's it's fine for him to intervene, but right. yeah, it it's it's kind of wild that um it almost feels that like the the teaser at the end of last issue with the train it was kind of pointless mm-hmm. because he had to come and talk to this villain anyway, so yeah. he could have just came and I don't know. There's just lots of things here that feel like they're like he wanted to do the western thing and he wanted some key moments from westerns. Well, 
Yeah, and I talked myself into the Superman in the West, and you had um, you have the two hot characters there too, right? Like, and they're they're not here in this issue, like at all. Um, oh yeah, and, I forgot about them. What? Uh, where were they in this issue? Right. So I just figured we'd we'd set like this kind of tone for almost like let's say Williamson wanted to do like a, a little three story Marilyn Moonlight thing. Yeah, in I, the I, I just completely forgot they were at the end of that last issue yeah. in the past, and yeah. I never even thought about it again because I, I it's forgettable, I, so I forgot about it. Where, where the hell are they in this issue? Why was that not mentioned at all? Right. Well, also, like, unless I miss something, how does the time travel here work? How does Clark get back to the to modern times? Uh, don't they mention something about stealing a device from a? Terraman? Is it from that was the whole point, yeah. Like his, okay. his hovercraft thing had something in it. Cause Let's he's see. cause he's time traveling already anyway, so he's got time right. travel tech. Sure. Yeah, they they, they they do loosely explain that. That's not a Okay. What I'm saying, it wouldn't be it would be par for the course at this point. Yeah, he's wearing one of the, the things that he was it's like a it's like a wrist thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was yeah. that was in there. That was in there. But yeah, we we get away from the train to to get to that beautiful opening here, and like they're not touched on at all. I figured Williamson would have a lot of fun with some of the old West characters. Like you know, we would get Jonah Hex or Batlatch or some of these characters showing up to kind of set the tone for the old West of the DC. And it nothing like that happens, and it just it kind of just feels like it's nice that we got the Maryland Moonlight stuff. But the Terror Man plot doesn't seem to really do much. And like you said at the beginning, this is all just to get Superman out of the way so the Revenge Squad can do what they need to do. Yeah, and uh, like I say, like the, the tease of... If, if the Mario Moonlight stuff had just been her looking at herself and Clark mm-hmm. noticing that, and it had been left there, and her saying, no, I'm not... Like, you, you don't mm-hmm. need to know anything about me, and it was still just a tease at this point... Yeah. I think that would have been fine, just in the sense that it wouldn't have felt... Because mm-hmm. as it is, she just goes on to explain pretty much everything to him, mm-hmm. and it comes out of nowhere. And I don't think they're at a point in their relationship where she would feel like she yeah. could tell him everything. Like, it's not like they went on some adventure here where they bonded and like she, she he's earned her trust because they he had to really look out for her here. Like, right. this adventure in the West was barely an adventure as far as we've read. It- it feels like he was there for 18 hours. Yeah, if that, if that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, so it, it doesn't feel like they've had enough time to bond, that she mm-hmm. wants to spill her entire life story to him. Yeah. So it feels a little disingenuous when you get to that point. Mm-hmm. And even at that, if you ignore that, she is still just telling him all this rather than mm-hmm. actually giving us, like, more, I don't know, more natural, it. yeah, more natural kind of unfolding right. it during the story. Like, it, it would have been cool to see, like, him being that guy in the town that that wouldn't back down from the from the town bully, and that kind of inspires Marilyn Moonlight. So there's this weird, um, uh, there's this weird, weird uh, paradox of, of Marilyn Moonlight inspiring, or being inspired by Superman. So no matter what he does, he still inspires them. And we kind of get that, right? Because of Marilyn Moonlight kind of inspiring herself. But it's just, I don't know. I feel like there's better ways to go about it where they can, like you, they always say, show, don't tell. And this comes down to Marilyn Moonlight just telling him everything. Yeah. 
Well. So it's not the worst issue in the run, but no. it's far from. In it was one of the ones in the moment I was fine reading it, and then when I stopped to think about it before I, I went to read whatever comic I was reading next, I went, "Wait, what the hell did I just read?" And then when you process it, you start to notice all these things. So, but I feel like that happens when I read Williamson a lot. Like I get really into what I'm reading, and then I forget to be critical of it until you know it's time. And then when you're looking at it critically, the warts and stuff really start to show. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a mediocre issue. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 like I, I can, I can, I can absolutely see someone reading this and just not thinking about it much and just being fine mm-hmm. with it because it's lightly entertaining, but. That's really the the best thing I could probably say about it, to be honest, at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, what are you rating Superman, Matt? Uh, I'm going to give this a 6.5. Uh, yeah, just... Mm, yeah, just a 6 for me. It's, you know, it's not terrible to read a rent like that. The art's very nice. That's getting a lot of credit, but... Yeah, it's, it's, I can't really put it too much above the that just flat positive mm-hmm. line. So cool. Uh, Wonder Woman issue five, legacy number eight oh five. This is Tom King with Daniel Simpier mm-hmm. on the art, and this is why the best book's going these past few months. And mm-hmm. I don't think this issue was any exception to that. Uh, it has a very simple structure, which is a very neat uh, dichotomy between the two plots that are going. Mm-hmm. So, in one plot, you've got the villains and you've got the Sovereign narrating this stuff, talking about how Sergeant Steel was assembling the anti-Wonder Woman squad, right? Building an army of all mm-hmm. of Wonder Woman's villains, and we'll go through all those pages uh, in a bit. Uh, but at the same time, you've got Wonder Woman trying to convince all of the Wonder Girls that she doesn't want their help, that she doesn't want right. them to get involved. So what's so good about this is that you've got the villains building up a team as wonder woman in theory is shedding her team because she wants to make this a solo fight and that just makes the stakes go higher as the issue is going on because no diana they're forming a team you need them you need the others every time and she goes out of her way to be an anti-recruiter you know each time she tries to tell them no 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 this is my fight you guys don't need to be involved you know this this is all on me thank you though and she really goes out of her way to essentially defeat their trials. Because that's what Wonder Woman does, right? Like, she passes all the trials of the Amazons. And here's, you know, each of the Wonder Girls gives her a different challenge to do. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're given these trials. And the first page establishes mm-hmm. that they each want something different. Also, what a structural mm-hmm. thing here that I really liked mm-hmm. is they go in reverse order of yeah. appearance. So you start with Yara, then Cassie, mm-hmm. and then you end with Donna. So you're going yep. back down the line from the newest one to the oldest. Yep. And each of their challenges, you know, kind of shows how well they know Diana, right, too. So it does ramp up, right? To, with yeah. Yara, it's something much more physical. With Cassie, it's something that's almost mental. And for, for Donna, it's definitely an emotional challenge. I don't know. Arm wrestling still pretty physical. It wasn't the arm wrestling as much. It was the fact that the, the Cassie was talking to her as they were going, right? And telling me, like, you know, you wouldn't, like, yes, you want me to sit out, but you taught me not to sit out. So she was kind of trying to appeal to Diana's, like, I know what you're doing, but it's not going to work. 
you know, and then, you know, Diana ends up, you know, doing what she needs to do. Um, but just the voices for all of these characters, I feel he just nails. And it's the, out of all of three of the Wonder Girls, the one I'm the most familiar with is, is Cassie. Because I read, you know, more of her than anybody else through John's Teen Titans and everything else. Um, but, you know, his voice for Yara is pretty spot on from what we've read before. You know, yeah, it, she, sounds, it sounds like Yara. And I, uh-huh. I think it's nice as well to read this issue from the perspective as the one kind of skeptical idea, the one worry going into this book mm-hmm. when all this stuff was announced of what he was doing with, with Trinity the mm-hmm. daughter was mm-hmm. that sometimes when they introduce a new Wonder Girl, the rest of them kind of get shoved to the side and forgotten. Mm-hmm. So it was very nice in this issue to sort of treat them as the three pillars of like... Yeah you know, her support group. Because uh, it made them feel like a big deal. It makes them feel like, oh, they're not just going to be forgotten because Trinity exists kind mm-hmm. of thing. I thought that was very nice. Um, so the the way the issue basically works from this point on, uh, after the first page setting up, is that you get two pages of two different villains being recruited for the, uh, the mm-hmm. villain team, and then you'll get a few pages of one of the Wonder Girls trials. Uh, mm-hmm. So just to go, th- we'll just go through it in order because honestly, I don't see what other way to do yeah. it. Well, uh, do you want to bring it down into the villains and the recruitment, and then the the trials, or do you want to go one by one? I will just go in order because I don't want to have to okay. bounce back and forth. Uh, okay. So, uh, Sergeant Steel first of all recruits Giganta. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in the narration here about like what Giganta is and all the yeah. the theories and rumors that I, she is a bear who became a woman or a woman yep. who became a bear then a woman Which, again. Coming coming out of Beast World and her becoming a bear, very funny. Like that was very well timed on yeah. DC's part. So, uh, but just the idea that you no, know, at the end of the day, she's Giganta and she's bigger than you. You know, it was just uh, the art here, her standing and her where you think it's just like a regular cell. Uh, and then when it's revealed that Sarge, you know, she's she's in her giant form looking down at Sarge Steel, like very, very fun art. Yeah, it's one of the things that I was thinking about as they were recruiting some of these villains, because a lot of them are women and mm-hmm. how like sexist, particularly the Sovereign is. Yeah, it was, surpri- you know, obviously generation. the pitch to them all, of course, is that, hey, you're going to get to kill Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and that's something you want, right? Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a that in various forms is kind of the pitch to a lot of them but it is interesting that we know he has no interest in giving any of these characters power he doesn't want that Mm-mm. he's just selling them on a simple premise and I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of interesting and shows again the the, the not that he's hypocritical per se although he certainly probably is hypocritical mm-hmm. but more just the idea that he's willing to use other women to get what he wants right. uh, kind of like thing if- if he is the patriarchy given face, then this is him being able to turn women against each other for his own cause. Right. Yeah. And then we have Cersei uh, Mm -hmm. is next. Such Um, a great reveal at the end here. You know, they're talking about Cersei and how, you know, with her history, they had to be really careful at sending men to talk to her, you know, but ultimately is she's, She's a god that wants to be a bigger god, and and how did they appeal to her, you know? Uh, and and she's with these pigs, and she's feeding them, and you know the thing you know about Cersei is that she turned Odysseus men into pigs in the Odyssey, and then so when when she goes to make the deal, she looks at, at this pig, and shakes his hoof, and it's metal, 
and it's it's Sarge Steele has been turned well, into a pig. My favorite part of that is the narration. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sovereign says. We don't yep. know exactly what went on at the meeting, but we understand yep. it didn't go too well. So that that yep. serves as kind of the punchline with that image of like, yeah. still got turned into a pig, but yeah. uh, ultimately, of course, as we find yeah. out at the end, still seemed to work as far as recruiting her goes yeah. anyway. Though though she eventually accepted, we cannot claim the meeting went entirely as, as well as hoped. <laughs> Just very, very funny stuff. Yeah, and then we get to Yara's trial, and this mm-hmm. is the arrows, and it's basically just you know these uh, <laughs> matching panels going down the side of each page, with Diana and Yara pointing arrows at each other, and We're just gonna shoot arrows at each other and and have them hit, you know. So they'll start at one, and then they'll fire two at the same time, and then three. Um, very very ballsy of Yara's part. Yeah, to, uh, to use this as her trial, and of course there's dialogue throughout all this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, about how she's got the advantage because she's young and she's faster mm-hmm. and all these things. Um, so yeah, it's all very good. Um, it, it, the art here is exceptional because it's all about pacing. It's all about the the one arrow and the two arrows and the the mm-hmm. the enlarged sort of contact when they hit each other in the middle of the battlefield. Uh-huh. Uh, until eventually, of course, you get that one where they fire four arrows. And one of each makes it through, and you're like, shit, are they both going to get hit? Mm-hmm. And then the next page, you see Yara gets hit, and the the mm-hmm. one goes right past Diana's shoulder. So Diana's not even been hit. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's funny, but it, it kind of feels like it's perfect characterization of Yara, and that she's a mm-hmm. bit over and over her head, she's a bit cocky. Yep. And that fits with her character. Like, whenever we've seen Yara mm-hmm. before, she's felt a bit cocky, and it's always been mm-hmm. entertaining. But it yeah. works here that Wonder Woman kind of bests her because she is yeah. young. She, and... she lured her in because th- there's no motion lines or anything. But I like to think that, that Diana just kind of sideswiped the arrow, right? Like she moved because she knew Yara was never going to get her. You know, so like she goaded her into it, you know. Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a attitude type thing. Yeah. And she just, but yeah. I- and the important thing at the end here is that once she's won, she's like, Yara, okay, you have to swear that you won't yep. uh, interfere in this fight. You you stay away from this war. Uh, swear it. Uh, and then we go to our next villain recruitment. And I actually really like this one because this one had uh-huh. a little twist to it, which is basically it's uh, Dr. Psycho. But the narration explains that Dr. Psycho is very kind of unpredictable and he's got a lot of negatives because he's, you know, he's, he's all about, he, he was dumped by a woman, so he, he swore mm. revenge on all of, all of womankind and all the rest of it. But he's so off his rocker that we actually decided not to use him. However, he actually tracked us down. Sergeant Steele went to his office one day and Dr. Psycho was sitting there volunteering to be mm-hmm. a part of the team that takes down Wonder Woman. I thought that was perfect. For, it's, for Dr. It's, Psycho. It's Dr. Psycho to a T. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, and then we have uh, Grail uh, mm-hmm. is up next. Uh, interesting detail here is that Sergeant Steel doesn't recruit her. It's the Sovereign who goes personally to get mm-hmm. her because she's a god and he thinks she deserves a bit more respect. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the usual promise of fortune and fame and and all that sort of stuff doesn't work on a god. That works on a an immortal. Yep. So. I I I do like that they're keeping Grail around because Grail was a character they could have just tossed to the side, right? But the fact that they're recruiting her as part of this, um, 
it makes a lot of sense considering she's Darkseid's daughter, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then just just the Sovereign's final line about who better to pay tribute to the daughter of Darkseid than we, the son of a dozen kings of the United States of America. And it's very anti-life, right? That That sentence is just dripping with it, you yeah. know? So, yeah, very good stuff. Yeah, because the, the sovereign's entire thing has been manipulating, you know, the mm-hmm. the propaganda and like yep. what the public thinks. So that's mm-hmm. very anti-life. Uh, then we go to Cassie's trial, which is an arm wrestling competition. Yep. But what really sticks out about this is the dialogue because Cassie yep. knows Diana better than Yara does. It gets a bit more personal, and she talks mm-hmm. about how she was never the princess type of girl. She was never into wearing those types of dresses or had the pomp and circumstance of it all. But it talks about how when she saw Diana appear as Wonder Woman, she became a princess girl, meaning Diana as a princess. Now she had a princess she wanted to emulate, mm-hmm. that she wanted to be herself. Um, and that's why she wants to help Diana here. She won't let her fight this fight on her own. Uh, but of course, Diana eventually wins the arm wrestling competition mm-hmm. and makes Cassie swear to not get involved. And she does. So, mm-hmm. uh, really good stuff. And, you know, and the art here, of course, is, is great. Like, all these trials have a lot of great sequential art, where mm-hmm. it's, you know, this, this back and forth. In this case, it's arm wrestling before it was the arrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, very different colouring schemes. This one's in, like, a bar, so there's a lot of oranges and, like, sort of wooden colours mm-hmm. in the background. Uh, yeah, a lot of those natural, it's, it's, like, green and orange and, you know, like, earth tones. Yeah. Uh, Every time we skip, we go to a new scene in this this issue, there's a, a sudden drastic change in color palette. Like as we go to the next scene, which is Silver Swan's recruitment, like we're in the sky. It's bright, yep. you know, this bright blue, pale sky, and even Silver Swan's all these like steel and blue colors, uh, yep. barring the red hair, obviously, which is very very mm-hmm. sticks out. Uh, I should say. Uh, but yeah, uh, this this just talks about how steel uh, had to be dropped in the sky for a while. Uh, but again, seemed to ultimately recruit uh, his target. Uh, and then we get Angleman, who I'm not as familiar with as a lot of these other characters. Me either. So that's where I'm looking him up now. But he seems like a wild card, right? Yeah, like well, the way that King uses the narration to describe him. Yeah, so basically he talks about this guy who without knowing what he'd done, discovered the final piece of the anti-life equation, right? He, he, he found the final mm-hmm. angle, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And this made him very important. Uh, but he, you know, he's, a, he's in a mental hospital. He's in a padded cell, just drawing triangles mm-hmm. everywhere, uh, mm-hmm. all over everything. So, yeah. Uh, and it basically talks about how people fear what he knows because of the, the information, mm-hmm. because of the knowledge that he has. Uh, very interesting to throw this character in. So, it, it, I, whenever they do something like this, where they assemble a team of villains, and there's like one that I don't know, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. You're kind of elevating this, and or at the very least, you're making me aware of a villain mm-hmm. that I didn't know very well before. So, that's cool. Uh, have you found any juicy information on Angleman? So far, no. Just the just the idea that he has a, a living embodiment of a piece of the um, anti life. That seems to be new, so that seems to be something that King has introduced here, as far as far as I can tell. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's a Phil Jimenez kind of, you know, he's been around for a while, but it really came to prominence in the Phil Jimenez Wonder Woman run. So, um, but yeah, 
Alright. Uh, Donna's trial's up next, and Donna has a blinder of an idea here to win. Because she's like, what, what can I beat Diana easily? Mm-hmm. And her idea is a video game. So the final trial of the issue is them playing a fighting game, which is effectively Injustice. It's a bunch of DC characters, um, which I, I, I'm not against them having a fighting game based with all the heroes and villains in it. It makes, like, I, I totally believe this would exist if superheroes were real. Uh-huh. Um, but- the, the question I have, though, is that the stage they fight in is the Batcave, and yep. it's got the dinosaur and like yep. all the other details you'd expect. And I'm like, how did the video game developers in the DC I, universe know about all this shit? I'm so glad because I got hung up on that too. Then I started thinking about it. I had to put the comic down and be like, wait, is this just like, is this just for, for Nightwing and the Titans, right? Did, did Cyborg help create this? So that's, oh, did, that's why. okay, okay. Cyborg, because right. he's a human machine robot man, he just right. whipped this up. Okay, is this, is this game only only at Titans Tower? <laughs> you know, which if that's the case, that's even more devious of Donna. Right, it's not a game that, that Diana could actually uh, play. Uh, but once you get over that, uh, it's it's the. Donna's. It, it, I mean, reason it, it, for it, doing it, this. it's the minorest of quibbles. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not. It's not a huge deal. Um, no. It, it's interesting though, is that obviously they're they're playing the game and they're talking about being sisters, mm-hmm. and you know, all, all, all again, it's Donna basically saying like, "There's no way I'm not getting involved. Um, it's it's not happening," and. They're playing the game, and obviously Donna's winning. And there's a lot of funny dialogue here from Diana, where she's like, "I think my my buttons aren't working," and she's, mm-hmm. she keeps saying things like that. And it was really cracking me up. And ultimately, though, she ends up fighting back and kicks the shit out of Donna's character. Which, by the way, I love that Donna was playing as Batman and Diana was yep. playing as Superman. It felt uh-huh. right to me based on their personalities. But what I liked about it. And the end was because I, I was going to critique it a little bit and say what you're secretly revealing that Diana's great at video games. That feels a little bit weird to me. I don't mm-hmm. really see how she would be. But then she explains how, and she says, "Hey, I've been working for Batman with with for years. Yep. Whenever he's in a fight with someone like Superman, he usually has a chance because he's had time to prepare." And that's what I did. I know who your roommates with. I know that you guys play video games. I prepared and I'm like oh, okay okay you spent a few days training all right I'll accept that I'll accept that as an explanation well and then she also says and when when they do fight you know Superman and Batman do fight Superman always holds back right you know and so that's this is Diana going like I was rope-a-doping you you know I let you think that you have the edge mm-hmm. and then I just came and used all of Superman's full power to defeat your character uh, and the idea that uh, at the beginning, Donna told Diana, when you get mad and lose, don't throw the controller at the TV. And that's exactly what Donna does. Yeah, you know? it's very funny. It's a punchline because mm-hmm. she set that up earlier by saying don't do it. And yep. then she got so mad that she lost that she yep. did it anyway. But what makes that good, though, as apart from it- just being funny is that it's showing her frustration because she wants to help Diana. Yep. And she's, exactly. mad- she's mad that Diana's tricked her. And that mm-hmm. she is doesn't isn't going to get to help, and I think that's what gives it this weight. So it's not just a joke; it's a joke with right. actual meaning behind it, and that's actually mm-hmm. very very good writing. So 
that's that's great stuff and she makes donna swear not to get involved because she lost and she's like i swear all right and then you get the full page so all of the wonder girls have been taken off the board seemingly and then you get Mm -hmm. a full page spread of all of the villains that have now been assembled in this kill wonder woman squad which Mm -hmm. is silver swan giganta grail cersei angleman and dr psycho hell of a lineup right and we go to Wonder Woman going home at the end of the day in her civvies. And the narration is talking about, oh yeah, we actually like predicted and counted on that she would want to do this alone and that she would drive her allies away and that would help. So honestly, like this has one of the best final page reveals and endings to a story that I've read in a single issue in some time, which is that Wonder Woman gets home to her place she opens the door and all three Wonder Girls are in costume and the, the best one to quote here is basically Yara who says, F your stupid trials, we're not letting you do this alone. It's like a total mm-hmm. fist pump moment. And the, the Sovereign's narration at the end says, yeah, apparently we overestimated Wonder Woman's like abilities to control her, her allies or whatever. Yep. Um, so... They, she wasn't alone. She had her Wonder Girls with her. It's just it's such a good fist pump moment because the entire issue, like I said, you're doing this sort of counting up and counting down at the same time where the mm-hmm. villains are getting stronger and stronger and Wonder Woman's like intentionally turning her allies away and you think all hope is lost and that she's completely on her own before mm-hmm. the end and then only for the three characters to turn around and say, no, we're going to ignore your stupid request and your stupid rules. Mm-hmm. We're doing this anyway. Because we care about you. We're yeah. not going to let you do this on your own. And that's something that the Sovereign says about the, the, the team that they've assembled, right? That it's an army of madness, power, obsession, magic, savory divinity, and hate. And then at the uh, on the last page, his uh, narration to counter that is, and so she acquired her own army, an army of skill, strength, cunning, and love. So the right there, the balances just keep going. You know, that they, they assembled a team of, you know, the of hate-driven characters that want to get revenge on, on Diana. As she tried to drive these ones away, their love for her brought them back. And uh, I don't uh, know if you noticed the detail on this mm-hmm. last page. There's a photo of mm-hmm. that kid who had yep. cancer on the mm-hmm. on Diana's wall. Very yep. nice touch. Very nice touch. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was a very fantastically orchestrated issue because it mm-hmm. had a very simple goal right it's it's showing you that wonder woman is trying to say this is her fight and not to get the people she cares about involved mm-hmm. only for them to turn around and say what the hell are you talking about there's no way we're not helping you with this uh, regardless of all your trials and rules screw the amazon rules we don't care uh yeah. that's you know it, it's yeah, it's. It, I think it's just really uplifting at the end in a way that you know that this book's been very good at sort of like balancing the the rooting for Wonder Woman against the sort of the impending doom that the narration from the Sovereign kind of implies all the time. Like he's mm-hmm. always doing these really dark things and like talking about how they're manipulating everyone and turning the opinion against Wonder Woman and all that stuff. So it makes it doubly like rewarding when you get to the characters who are standing by her no matter what even when she herself is saying don't stick up for me and mm-hmm. they're saying you don't get a choice right right we care about you too much you don't get a choice and that's actually very uplifting i think it's like re- respectfully we disagree <laughs> you know yeah so uh, 
fantastic. And obviously the art from Sam Pure mm-hmm. is just, it's next level stuff. Like that, the full page spreads uh, towards the end of both the hero and villains mm-hmm. teams are both wonderful. Yeah. No pun intended. Well, the, so like uh, you brought up the arrows and where the arrows with her and Yara, when they connect, it makes these stars. Yeah. Which, you know, stars are a thing we associate with Diana, right? But then when, when it gets to the Cassie stuff, it's so much more subdued and it's just them doing the arm wrestling. Right. And it's this nine panel progression of them going back and forth, you know, it, not uh, only do we go further back to like the people mm-hmm. who she's known the longest each time, mm-hmm. we also get more personal and setting, but it's yep. Yara is out in a field somewhere, you know, it's just outside. Right. And then mm-hmm. with Cassie, it's a, a more intimate setting, but in a bar and a public place. And then right. when you get to Donna, it's on the couch in Donna's home. It's, you know, Outside, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's so, the most so it from, intimate it could be. Yeah, they're, they're her and are, are, are paces from each other. And then Cassie's, you know, they're across the table. But then Donna and her are sitting next to each other. You yeah. know, it, it's all, again, you know, I always, when I read a Tom King book, I have Connor in my head trying to tell me <laughs> that it's not good, right? But then I'm reading, I'm like, nah, man, I don't know what he's missing. I don't know what screws loose, but like, this is just storytelling across the board. You know, him and him and his artists have such such a connection. They make all of this stuff work so well on, on so many different levels. Yeah. It's, it's really astounding. I think as well, like you can get a clear sense of the three different voices for the Wonder Girls, especially on that final mm-hmm. page where it, it basically just runs on from one of them to the next one uh, yep. through like three sets of bubbles. Um, and... You know, Yara's very funny because she's the young, angry one who's swearing a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, just like, F that, F my, this. My kind of lady. Yeah, so. Whereas Donna's, like, more respectful, I guess, and more kind of... And just, like, demure, because even yeah. her... Because her... Even her dialogue, uh, or her, her word bubbles, kind of just blend into the back, right? Kind of like how she is, you know, uh, up against the window. Um, but they're all basically saying the same thing is that we're here for you just in their own ways. Um, yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, there's so much thought put into like how each of those trials and conversations are written, where the setting mm-hmm. of each of them is the order of them. It's all designed to orchestrate kind of a crescendo that mm-hmm. you think is over by the time you get to the end. And then the last page, no, it's not over. They're all here anyway. Yeah. And that's a, you know, it's a, like I say, it's a fist pump. It's the opposite of a gut punch, yep. but with the same amount of impact, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's also exciting to see all these villains assemble because, okay, shit, we've got now this villain team working for Sergeant Steel. Like, yeah, like, because usually in the last couple of years, we'd have had Veronica Kale popping in there too. And, you know, so the fact that he, not that he necessarily dug deep, like Engel, Engelman's pretty deep, but bringing Grail in bringing back in silver swan and giganta you know cheetah's not here so i'm wondering if we get if knowing who cheetah is i feel like her not being down with the sovereign i feel if we see her she's gonna maybe align more with diana you know uh but it's not the the usual usual suspects uh and uh i I think there's a very pointed reason for that these are all people that the sovereign are basically exploiting you know, their own reasons for not liking Wonder Woman. Yeah, so well, they... I mean, on, on Veronica Kale, I mean, you could read that as one Kale because the last time she had a big story with Wonder Woman, at least from what I've read, maybe some of the stuff I didn't read she was in, I don't know, 
But, you know, last I remember, Diana got her daughter back. So maybe... Wait, well, she she showed up in this, remember? She was on one of the roundtables talking about the Amazon. That's Amazonians. true. You're right, you're right, you're right. Um, right. But alternatively, you could also argue that Kale is this powerful woman and mm-hmm. probably wouldn't be... T- t- she's not listening to the sovereign right yeah she, she wouldn't be tempted like she, she or maybe even less to do with her and more to do with the sovereign's view of view of yeah. veronica the idea that yeah. he wouldn't like including this woman who's a, right. a rich successful businesswoman because mm-hmm. she represents everything he doesn't want to succeed right you know maybe that's the way you look at it I, either right. way you can kind of explain to an extent why he wouldn't want Veronica mm-hmm. Kale as part of the team. Well, and that's that's what I'm saying. Same about Cheetah, right? There's there's numerous other Wonder Woman villains that we, we've known over the years. Yeah. And that's the fact that these ones are are chosen for a very specific reason. And for what each they represent by Tom King, also thematically in the in the story, they all have, you know, like like you're saying, like he would go after Kale for storyline reasons. He would go for, you know, let Doctor Psycho in, even though He's the biggest wild card, right? Because yeah. they almost don't want him, as they mentioned, but yeah. he, he showed up mm-hmm. and he's like, well, he does hate her, so... Yeah, <laughs> and that could, you know, and that could be the undoing of the Sovereign, right? Because he's such a wild card that, uh, you know, and he, they got so blinded by bringing down Wonder Woman, they didn't realize, you know, bringing someone like Psycho in. But this was just a, like, a masterclass in storytelling from from both the artist yeah. and the writer so uh just when when i realized what they were doing by showing us the recruitment and then showing us diana not recruiting and uh each of the trials it just man once that clicked i was like man this this book's cooking yeah and even if you want to boil it down to its simplest possible terms diana's trying to get less people involved and therefore heart whereas the villains want to get as many people in because they don't care if they get hurt. Right. Uh, not, that, not that I would expect the Sovereign to care about these specific characters anyway, no. but, you know, the, the broad idea remains. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's smart on that level. I think mm-hmm. this is... I, I think this book, almost every single... There are five issues in, and I think at least four out of the five issues, including this one, have all felt like such full, meaty mm-hmm. chapters where I feel like I've gotten a big, big, you know, section of the story. It feels like it's made a great point by the end of the issue, mm-hmm. and it's done a great job of building up to make me excited for where the story goes next. I think every issue's done that, and mm-hmm. I think that's very impressive. And it does make some other comic books feel a little like light in comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, um, everything in here feels so important like not a single page or panel feels wasted it feels like it's constantly building the overall like saga mm-hmm. that it, that it's telling um so i i don't know i feel like if we're getting into kind of an off period for superman right now because you know actions shifted to this new format yep. and superman still whatever obviously the main batman book's not doing that great yep. i love that wonder woman seems to have come in to kind of be like no this character gets to have an all-time run now um yeah with the others not doing as hot. Obviously, Detective's still great and yeah. whatnot, but, it, it, you know. Um, so, really happy about that. Uh, fantastic issue. I, you know, I, I've barely, I, I almost have, don't even know how much 
more I could say, or maybe I could yeah. speak for another hour about it. I don't know. But uh, Matt, <laughs> what are you uh, rating Wonder Woman? Uh, so I'm going to give this a 9.5. Yeah, I think a 9.5 yeah. is right where I am did, as well. Did you read the backup? Or I, I, the backup? I did read the backup, actually. Okay. Uh, gotcha. So, yeah, so it's Tom King writing still. Uh, mm-hmm. With uh, I think the credits at the end, so I'll tell you at the end. It's still Bell and Ortega. <laughs> Thank the, you. That's the, the one. Artist. Yep. Uh, so basically, John, Cassie, and Damien, and despite the fact that John and Cassie feel like they're still, well, maybe Cassie's a bit older. Oh, Cassie. So I keep saying Cassie. Uh, you get, it's Trinity. Yeah, but what's what's Lizzie? Is her Lizzie? Name. Yep. Uh Sorry, sorry. The Freudian slip. Uh, yep. So. She seems to be a bit older, and mm-hmm. Damien is shot from being 14 to being adult Damien in the Batman outfit with the it, big collar. The trench coat. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. We're still, I'm still kind of wonky on like the ages Damien's supposed to be in relation to her. Uh, yep. Because John looks the exact same age here, of course, as he usually does. It's that, it's that Kryptonian. Kryptonian don't crack. Right? Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, but they're having a kangaroo race, which of course yep. was, was Trinity's idea. And the winner gets to name their Trinity, their trio, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, their team. And she wants Trinity's Trinity. <laughs> it's not bad, though. Like, you know, it's not good, but it's not bad. Yeah. Uh, and then, what was Damien's? Delta Force. That's what it was. Because Del- Delta means three. It's such a Damien answer, too. Like, Delta means three, and Force means, well, you know. And I like that John counters with, well, why not the super friends? Because we're all friends. You know, that's such a... Again, all the voices are distinct. Yeah, it's a fun, light-hearted little romp at the end, you know, because the, the main book's such a serious kind of... Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's, a ser- it's a serious book, but it's also got kind of a, a really specific pacing uh, this is a very much a refresher to get to this, and it is just more of a cartoony mm-hmm. comic at the end, yeah. uh, where the kids are being kids, even though they're not really kids in this bit of the story. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe I mean, maybe Lizzie's still in her teens, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. But anyway, uh, so there's a whole thing where she tries to jump a, a gap with the kangaroo, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't quite work, but technically she still wins, and she's kind of cheeky about it. Uh, actually, I laughed a lot here at one of the lines here. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Damien gives uh, John shit. He's like, "Hey, aren't you supposed to save her? You're Superman. Does she look saved?" And he's like, "Wait, I'm supposed to save her? Like, w- 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 I can't do that all the time. You're Batman. What, what does Batman do?" And Damien's response is, "I am vengeance. I am the night. I avenge her nightly." I thought that was really funny. I thought that was a great line. Uh. But yes, so because they were talking about what the S symbol means and talking about hope and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. uh, Trinity decides to name their trio Gen S. And uh, John likes it, Damien hates it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what they've got. And the joke at the end is that uh, John's never going to shut up talking about what the S is and what it means yep. and, and whatnot. He's like, you know, technically the S comes from a river on Krypton that flows in that shape. That's why it's in the symbol. Oh, this is going to be forever, isn't it? Um, and what weirdly looks like they're at a memorial on Themyscira for their parents at the end there, which is it's mm. a bit telling. I wonder what that's about. And that also that Lizzie was breaking rules by letting the boys come to 
paradise. Oh, no, no. Right? She said at the start uh, she got express permission from mm-hmm. Queen Mum. So I don't think Diana's is dead. I think it's implying Diana's. Okay. Is, Diana's is the, the Queen of Themyscira now, I think. Gotcha. I could have sworn that she said there she was catching heat for that. Um, it's like one of the first things she says is she's. Oh, okay. So I read that wrong. She says I didn't get special permission from Queen Mom to have the boys sit and to sit and argue. So basically, let's get to going. Yeah. Um, I read that as she didn't get it, so let's get to going before we get into trouble. You know. Um. Mm. So I thought I thought she was taking heat, but I uh, also her kangaroo was Jumpa Junior, which I thought was pretty funny. Um. Yeah, uh, I always forget about Jumper the Kangaroo until I'm yeah. reminded of it. So it wasn't until she said Jumper Jr. Mm-hmm. I went, oh yeah, that's why they're yeah. kangaroos, because that's yep. an old Wonder Woman thing that gets brought up once in a blue moon. <laughs> yeah, and just, just at this end here where she says, you know, eh, I'm an Amazon, I don't mind forever, you know, and the song that's with you boys, there is a sense of family with them, you know. Oh, they, call, so- her, they call her sister repeatedly throughout oh, this story. Right, right. But just here, just the whole vibe of it and just... Just the idea that, like, yes, we know that their parents are really friends, and we've seen in other things Clark and Bruce refer to each other as brothers. Um, here, this is the first generation of of heroes that I feel like they really are bonded family. You know, um, it's a really weird thing because you don't you don't get that with the like, you get that with the Robins, right? But that's really the only set of like sidekicks that really feel like that. Um, with the Titans, they kind of have their own little dynamics going on, but here, it, King's really, really done a good job at establishing that these three kids do feel like, like they are cousins that grew up with each other. Uh, and just the idea that, you know, Damien, you know, paved the way for, for John and now Lizzie, you know, in the comics, you know, by when Morrison brought, brought him in and Batman and son. It, it is a nice that they have their own, you know, sense of purpose amongst them. You know, they're not they're not this lost generation kind of like the the young justice kids kind of became. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we mm-hmm. already rated the book, so we'll have to do that yeah. again. Uh, I just forgot there was a backup, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, the back the backups decent fun. Pretty- it's nothing compared to the main story, but it's no, it is it is a nice palate cleanser almost, right? Because. The, the main book kind of gets serious and a little bit uh, um, heavy at, at times. And so it's nice that this in the back, King gets to kind of stretch his legs and tell a little bit of a lighter story, right? Because we also had Wonder, what'd she call herself? Was it Wonder Wonder Robin in that first one? Yeah, yeah. And, and all of that stuff. So uh, it's nice that he can shift gears a little and do something a little bit lighter. Yeah. All right. Nightwing 110, legacy number 297, uh, as confirmed in the solicits today, uh, Tom Taylor writing with Sam Basri on the R. So, uh, for, because it's the tie-in to the event, and they actually give the whole page count to the, just one story, there's no backup mm-hmm. in this one, uh, but it, is, it does have the extra pages still, it's just all uh, the main book. Yep. So, this is basically... Uh, the backup last time, Damien turned into a cat, and yep. this issue is Dick and John teaming up to go find Damien, because despite everything else going on, they care about getting their brother mm-hmm. and saving him. Um, we get a little bit of a tease as well as this uh, Ava Apex and how she was, how she became what she is now. 
and the present day story. She, I, I do like that they show she's essentially dark beast boy, right? She has very similar origins that she, she had that disease that they ended up curing in him. And that's why he's green and able to turn into different yeah. creatures. Instead, she's dying in Arkham tower until a spore yep. tries to take her and she mm-hmm. just grabs it or stabs it, I should say. Yep. And starts eating it. She, she gets beast boy powers uh, well, kind of. Um, well, yeah, kind of. She she's able yeah. to control animals, so they're kind of different. But control and and we find out that she can shapeshift too. But it seems like hers are more tied to whereas whereas uh, Gar can tap into the morphogenic field like Animal Man. It seems her transformations are a little bit more contained to her backstory. Yeah. Uh. So it seems well. The implication I got. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe this just leans into what our maybe she already had a meta ability mm-hmm. uh, before is yeah. that all the tattoos she has of all these different yep. animals that she's hunted. Yep. Um, I got the implication she's eaten all of them, yep. and maybe the reason why she can transform into all those is because she's eaten them all, <laughs> and that's right. that's why. And that, that's what I was getting about about into yeah. her backstory, and that's the little bit uh, a bit of a contain. But yeah, her her skewering that thing, I feel. Knowing that each of these are a piece of gar, every time I see one of them drop, I get a little bit more sad. Hmm. You yeah. know. So I I, so I I thought that that opening with her backstory was pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Dick and John have got some heartwarming moments because they care mm-hmm. about looking for Damien and they go to the Aceberg Lounge, uh, deal with uh, getting info from the the, the Cobblepot uh, siblings. Um, them them telling their guys to stop John, and there's like four of them on him. And he just keeps walking with such a funny visual. Yeah, yeah, because they're all just sort of hugging him and grabbing his leg yeah. and trying to. Oh wait, stop there's him more walking. than four. It looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, five, maybe six. Um, you can't just walk in here. He literally just did. Um, but yeah, great, great I think... stuff in there. Oh no, yeah, it's just five. I was going to say I think it's six because I can yeah. see an arm, but that's actually John's arm. I could see. Yeah, <laughs> not, not, not one that's, of them. That's what. That's what got me too. Yeah. Uh, so it turns out that. Some of the the lesser reputable people in Gotham are running an animal fight club for gambling. Um, And I actually love where this was taking place. It's an old ice hockey rink that fell underground during the Cataclysm. I love a a reference to No Man's Land and that era. Uh, That's that's a good stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, they've got um, Gale the Slayer. There's a bear named Gale in this, so this is Tom Taylor poking fun at Gail Simone. Uh, with... Literally poking the bear. It's so funny. I turned that page and I saw that, and I had to let Connor know. Like, I didn't tell him exactly what Gale the Slayer was. Yeah. But I was like, when you when you get caught up, you're going to have a very good laugh. I do know uh, that he was binging a lot of comics this week catching up. Okay. So he's, uh, I, don't, I don't think he's quite up to date yet, but I think he, yeah. was, he was closing the gap. Uh, right and and even even funnier than gail the slayer is what ava uh, apex ava has named damien uh, mr mittens <laughs> mr mittens just oh man uh oh dear so we've got uh cat damien fighting the mm-hmm. bear uh looks quite disastrous at first but then mm-hmm. ava tells damien to attack and turns out damien's fighting skills or transferring over to a uh, mm-hmm. cat form, so uh, beats the shit out of the bear. Uh, and just before he goes to kill the bear, that's when John and Dick step in and stop mm-hmm. him because obviously they can't let him kill someone. Uh, right. That'd be problematic. 
So, yeah, they end up flying out. Oh, I'm going to sneeze again. Uh-oh. Oh. Um, there you go. Also, I, I like this where they go to stop him, right? And it's, it's uh, Dick has the Eskrima stick underneath, and then John has his hand. So they're both, you know, you know, because of the relationship between both of these you know, guys with, with Damien. It's very telling. Like, the art really nails that. Um, and then the, the spore, which, you know, we've talked about, like, the supers have to be careful because the spores will, will consider them the biggest threat and jump to them. So as as they're, you know, going out, the, the spore leaves Gale the Slayer uh, to jump into John. Um, yeah, and, and Dick zaps it with his stick. Yep. Uh, but then there's a bunch of spores coming after them as they're flying away, mm-hmm. so they have to get away quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. John Heat Vision is the one that's inside uh, Damien as it comes for yep. him. Uh, and then basically the end of the issue is them going back and dealing with the this illegal ice hockey rink mm-hmm. uh, with the gambling. John picks it up out of the ground, does some fighting stuff as Ava yep. uh, sets some wolves on uh, Dick and Damien. Mm-hmm. So there's some fun stuff there. I think the fighting's where I really, really miss Redondo in this particular yeah. issue because it just feels like a really generic comic book fighting. As yeah. a, and. I don't think Badger's art's bad. Like Badger's mm-hmm. art is perfectly nice to look at. It, it's typical comic book fight scenes. Yeah, you know, it's There's... just not doing anything super stylish or anything memorable, or flashy. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, not bad by any means, but uh, yeah, you got John lifting the whole thing out. Uh, we've got Ava still sort of around for a future future thing. She even sort yeah, of teases, so... I look forward to hunting you one day, Nightwing. So, yeah. Which was making me think, oh, is this Nightwing's Craven the Hunter? <laughs> That's what I, I thought the same thing. And the fact that she, she, you know, she says, I hunted a wedge-tailed eagle in Australia, shot it in its nest. And just, just knowing, we, we got Heartless gunning for Dick now. I mean, she's got the Titans. Like, yeah, her, her becoming his Craven could prove to be a problem. And yeah. then she turns into that that eagle that she hunted. So I feel like all of she's kind of limited to the animals that she's killed and eaten. That might just be a mental block thing for her. It might just be how her powers work, uh, which I do think makes her stand out from Beast Boy, right? Yeah, it's a more limited set of rules. But mm-hmm. I actually almost like that because if there's only like five or six things she can turn into, yep. it's like okay, but she can t- turn into one type of bird to fly. She can turn yep. into one type of strong animal, one right. type of fast animal. Well, well, and if she like, if she wants to turn into, let's say, a shark or whatever, right? She has to go kill and eat that shark. So it really makes her have to level up. Yeah, um, which she could theoretically do. Assuming right. she's not already done a shark, of course. I get that was just an example, but of course. Um, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a bit of a heart to heart. Damien asks mm-hmm. if he hurt anyone when he was turned, and John gives him a whole speech about how you know whatever he did when he was turned isn't on him in the same way that whoever he hurt when he was trained by League of Assassins isn't on him either. Uh, it's just on him to kind of like make up for it and break out of it. So it's a nice little speech at the end that kind of taps into Damien's whole backstory. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the book. It's Nightwing. Uh, it's a fun issue. It's a solid tie-in to an event. It's never going to be as good, I think, as just a good issue of the run. But as mm-hmm. a tie-in to Beast World, it's pretty solid, and I had a reasonable fun time reading that. And I think Ava yeah. as a villain is an interesting new addition to mm-hmm. the the repertoire. So uh, yeah, 
I also like that they did tie her into. She had the disease. She ate the piece of Beast Boy, so she's inherently tied to the same origin that that Beast Boy. Which definitely, I did not go on a on a Beast Boy origin dive and learn the causes of Sakutia, the the disease that he had uh, and had to be cured. Uh, so definitely didn't do that. But yeah, her Ava as as a character, I think, is a nice addition to that Titans villains quiver. You know. Um, cause she, she kind of balances out, uh, Gar that way. Well, I don't think she's a Titans villain though. I think she's going to be more specifically a Nightwing villain. Think she's just going to be Nightwing then? I think so. I think okay. the fact that she's got kind of ties to Gar makes it a bit more personal for him. And mm-hmm. maybe it also gives him an idea how to fight her cause he knows Gar's weaknesses right. and he, he knows him well. But I think, like I say, her being more like his Craven the Hunter is mm-hmm. an interesting way to take it. So... Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So, so, so tie an issue. Uh, mm-hmm. What are you giving Nightwing? I'm going to seven point five. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think ultimately it still feels like a tie-in issue, but it's a good tie-in mm-hmm. issue. So, uh, very good. Oh, I just did something I wasn't wanting to do. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, Titans issue seven. Tom Taylor writing and Travis Moore on the R. So Titans is focused more on the. The side of of this event, which is the sort of where it came from in the first place, which is uh, Brother Eternity and him being mm-hmm. Tamaranian, and he's working with uh, Garth, who's in Titans Tower, and that's kind of where mm-hmm. this issue picks up. It's uh, the Titans dealing with that threat, and you know he's just Brother Eternity. He's just revealed that he's actually was it Zal, I think was the name of the Tamaranian, um. Mm-hmm. And sort of even talks about how he's responsible for her parents' death because he lured yep. them away so that the parents would be vulnerable yeah. and killable. He's he's part of that Necrostar cult, right? And so when so Exhal is is the Tamaranian deity that that you know that Starfire represents, and he's all about destroying Exhal. So that's what the Necrostar was, and that he mm. he sold them out for that piece that would you know. That would get him. Yeah, he got it from Earth. he got it from the Dominators and some the other Dominators alien race. and the Citadel. Yeah, I yeah, I think what's interesting to me about this is I'm like, okay, so he's basically Tamaranian Scientology. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm getting from this guy. You, you said that. You said that just in case. Um, I I would just leave it at cult. You know, <laughs> but you know, um, uh, yeah. But but yeah. So I also like that he tries to you know he he infects Cyborg. And Cyborg hits him with a thing, and we have this body horror it crawling into to Cyborg, uh, all for it to to be for kind of nothing, because Cyborg uh, still is a big processor, right? He's he's half man, half machine, and uh, clearly it can't affect the machine, so it kind of just does nothing to him, which I I, I did like. I like that twist. Yeah, well, it's trying to, but Cyborg's basically able to fight right. it because some of the things that it's trying to connect to don't it exist just anymore. Can't, right? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so um, now you've got that. You've also got various uh, monsters hunting down Barbara, who's inside mm-hmm. the tower as well. Wally comes in and helps her. And Nightwing's a fox. Remember, that happened last issue in uh, Titans. Yep. And uh, they have to deal with him as well. Uh, luckily. Um, uh, they they deal with uh, yeah. Garth because Raven shows up and mm-hmm. sort of takes care of that. Actually, they they push Garth into 
uh, a chamber which they mm -hmm. then sort of take away all the humidity so they, they basically dehydrate them yep. as quickly as possible uh, which forces the, the parasite to come out and then Raven just blasts it with magic. Raven's kind mm -hmm. of a cold bitch in this issue but for good reason because she's obviously furious and distraught about the fact that, that Gar's been killed seemingly. Right, and this is because Brother Eternity would try to bring back the Necrostar. Yeah. The whole reason that, that, and this all takes place between Beast World 4, um, so, you know, the, this is ramping up to, to Before that. you mean. Yeah, sorry, that's, I thought that's what I said. You said this between, before that. which doesn't really make oh. any sense. <laughs> no, 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 this is before, yeah. yeah. And so she's she's the epitome of this time it's personal, right? Yeah, like yeah. She's least... just taken all of these things out without she hesitation. is on a warpath and mm -hmm. that that sort of keeps going until she you know, so we get the bit that you were talking about before with cyborg resisting yep. the parasite and then just mm -hmm. spitting it out and then starfire punches the shit out of him which is satisfying mm -hmm. because she obviously yep. has a personal grudge they've got nightwing fox in a bubble just to sort of yeah. keep him safe and so he won't hurt anyone well he's like uh he's never gonna turn into cockroach right even his even his fox self is kind of hot <laughs> I thought that was so funny uh, that's just, uh, who is it that says that? Is that Wally? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just Wally showing his furry side. That's all that is. Should, should I put Foxwing down with the others? Uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then we get a, an awesome Corey moment, right? Because he, he lunges at Corey, and they know that it's going to try to attract to her, because she's the more powerful, right? And, and she she bites it in half and spits it out. The parasite, this is. The parasite, yeah, that's right. The, the yeah. Garo spore. Um, to where she says, I'll, yeah. I will there's not a, be insane. There's a panel again. of the parasite coming out of the Nightwing Fox's mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, you see it flying towards Starfire, and then the next page is just her biting down on the tentacles mm -hmm. and spitting the rest of it out. And then, like it's wipe, Dad and then wiping her mouth as if yep. just to, like, you know, like, and she looks kind of evil on that, and, and, mm -hmm. in a cool way, like in a, in a cool yeah. kind of evil way. Uh, mm -hmm. Like she's just something really badass, like she doesn't give a shit uh, anymore. So, mm -hmm. uh, really fun. Nightwing turns back into into Nightwing, um, and so yeah, we we get actually there's a few. I, I was remembering the Raven moments more, but you're right. That's a cool moment mm -hmm. for Starfire where she gets to be mm -hmm. kind of a cool bitch. Raven gets a big one as well, where yeah. she goes to see uh, Brother Eternity and opens up a portal, mm -hmm. um, sends him away. He screams. And then she goes back to the rest of them and they say, what happened? Where is he? And she's like, he's in the Phantom Zone. <laughs> Which, of course, Wally asked the correct question here. You can just yeah. do that? You could just send someone to the Phantom Zone? Because mm -hmm. that's not necessarily tied to magic all that well. So that's something very specific yeah. you've been able to do now. I mean, if she can, trans if she can tra uh, tran transport... If she can teleport between dimensions, I don't see why the Phantom Zone would be off limits, right? Because as we've seen, it kind of is its own pocket dimension. Um, however, how come she's been holding this back? Ra Raven, you're, you're very scary right now. You know, so if we end up on your bad <laughs> side, you're just going to put us in the Phantom Zone? Like, oof. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because the last panel is her walking away saying, we've got a yeah. world to go save, let's go. And the rest of them are all just looking at her like, oh, shit, we're all kind of scared of her now. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, uh, yeah, because even Nightwing, you know, is kind of like, hey, and she she responds, he's caused untold pain and death. Now he's in pur uh, purgatory. Don't concern yourself with the ethics of this. 
And so it's almost like she's gone straight, just like dark mom Raven, you know, like kind of this is what Trigon has wanted for her, you know, but it took it took her love of, of Gar being, you know, taken, right? Yeah. And becoming a starfish for her to really get into the depths. I don't know if do. I would say she's already at the point that Trigon wanted, but she's mm-hmm. definitely further on the path than perhaps yeah. she's been. And, like, yeah, it makes sense she'd go to a dark place uh, mm-hmm. after the death of the person she loves. So, you know, obviously there may be repercussions for this. This may yeah. be the start of her going down a darker path where maybe she keeps going closer and, or further and further into the darkness. Yeah. Uh, or potentially if Beast Boy is back by the end of Beast World, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, that kind of snaps her back out of it or something but you know there's potential here to play with i think i've kind of been very impressed with how the titans book these past two issues has felt like a really good tie-in to the event but also felt like it's doing its own thing and that it's really playing up the brother eternity and the stuff that ties to to uh starfire through the tamaranian stuff and Mm -hmm. tying to raven because of her losing beast boy it feels like it's doing some really specific cool character stuff for a lot of the titans that feels really big. It, it, you know, it doesn't feel like it's just spinning its wheels and doing event stuff because an event's on. It feels like right. this is all stuff that it'd be addressing anyway because this is the stuff that it was doing in its run whilst right. also setting up Beast World. So I think Taylor's pulled off something really interesting and uh, respectful here where he, he he's done something where it functions... Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you can... I'm not saying you could you could read this really without Beast World because I still yeah. f- you, you feel like you'd have been missing a big chunk because yeah the, you're, because, you're missing beats because Titans did set all that up as well so you'd feel like mm-hmm. a lot of it wasn't in the book but I think this feels very worthwhile on its own as well in a way because it's doing so much with the characters mm-hmm. in a way that I think that tie-ins sometimes don't it still it still feels like a solid issue of the ongoing book whilst also feeling like Beast World is essential at the same time. And I right. think that's a very interesting thing to achieve with yeah. this dual, See, you know, rating going on. Because this is not just the next chapter. This is stuff that that builds yeah. into that story that when there's payoff, it's going to feel worthwhile having read everything. Yeah, because he, right? he could have easily done, you know, Beast World issue 1's part 1 mm-hmm. and then Titans issue yeah. 7's part 2. And he didn't do that. Right. Like he, he, no. he, he did something a bit more nuanced because... Mm-hmm. People who are just reading Beast World, if they just jumped into the event, can just read Beast World. But if you were reading Titans and you're still reading it during Beast World, you're getting so much more depth yeah. uh, with what all these characters are going through in the background. So, yeah, really, really appreciate that. Travis mm-hmm. Moore's art's very good. Yeah. Uh, you know, lots of great looks. We, we mentioned that 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 page with Starfire biting the mm-hmm. parasite and spinning out yeah. and then wiping her mouth. That yeah. is all they are. If the art wasn't good, that moment would be anywhere nearly as cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I love his Corey so much because she's, between this issue and the last issue, Travis Moore has just delivered, like, the Warrior Queen version of Starfire that we've kind of been missing. And I kind of put that on the, the Teen Titans cartoon because it's this very, um, like, Corey's like this very silly kind of lighthearted character that's experiencing the world and Comic book Corey has a much more nuanced and and texture like 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 her her backstory is very tragic like they showed in the last one so to see her get kind of these big moments and not just be the kind of happy go lucky silly character 
uh, it, it feels very nice. Yeah. So, you know, we got badass moments, we got fun Fox Nightwing, uh, mm-hmm. some fun one-liners from Wally, and some big character beats in here for progressing the story. So, uh, this is a very good issue of Titans to go alongside the, the Beast World event, I think. So, uh, yeah, I think it makes sense that you want to make sure the event is readable on its own because there will be people who just jump into the event. But for people who are reading Titans already, Beast World will feel great. These issues of Titans will feel great. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's kind of a win all round and is a far, far, far cry from those World Tour one-shots. Yes. So, excellent. What are you giving Titans? I'm going to use an 8.5. Yeah, I'd, uh, I think I'm in the ballpark of that. Um, yeah, I'll I'll go with point five as well. I think I agree with that. Cool. All right. Uh, Green Lantern War Journal issue five. Philip K. De Johnson and Montos on the art. So, this is uh, John has got his new ring. You know, they, they got the one that was on the uh, Varen, yeah, and he <clears throat> reignited it with the Genesis uh, energy. Fragment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this picks up here, and basically the ring, because it's, you know, he basically asked the ring, which could, because he's been connected to this Radiant Dead stuff, he asked to see what this other Earth was like, or this other universe, and he gets mm-hmm. like a glimpse of it. And honestly, my only critique of the art is going to be on this two-page spread where mm-hmm. you've got all the panels showing you glimpses of this other earth um is and they knew this was a problem because they put in arrows to show you where to read when you get yep. to the bottom of the page and that did feel a bit clunky and i get why they put them in though because my eye i'm just trained to go to the left and go yeah. right across um it didn't naturally spiral for me and they clearly thought of that they obviously had someone test read it and they've put in these little arrows for the last few panels to tell you what order to go in. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, it it's a bit of a, a clunky fix, but at least they recognize that they need fixing. So that's, yeah. that's something. Yeah, because when I was reading this one, I, I got down and then I went to the immediate where the Dark Star logo is. Yeah. Um, and then I saw the arrows like, oh no, so then I had to backtrack. So... Um, but yeah, but good, good on on the letter, uh, the letter, letter were nailed it. Um, to to see that that was going to be a problem with the art, because you also don't want to cover it up too much, right? Because this is a this is like a showpiece. Oh, for sure, yeah. The page is very pretty. There's no denying mm-hmm. the actual art skill, uh, but the choice of the laying out the these panels yeah. and narration boxes was a little, you mm-hmm. know, it, it wasn't the perfect layout. Uh, we'll yeah. just say. Um, so yeah, we've got John and Shepard as the lantern from the other earth, just to remind everyone who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying goodbye to Steel and whatnot, and Steel and Natasha are, are feeling a bit awkward about telling John about his mother and saying how she's thinks she's talking to her husband, who's obviously been long gone, mm-hmm. uh, heard her daughter. So John goes to see her, and this is another one of these heartbreaking scenes where the mother starts talking to him, but then she starts referencing John and the and the daughter being asleep, and you realize that she's you think she thinks she's talking to her husband uh, when she's talking to, mm-hmm. to John. 
And it's kind of heartbreaking because obviously he can tell that as well. And it would, it would make sense as well that he might remainder of him, right? He yeah. probably looks like his dad. So, uh, yeah. But then she breaks down when she's like, wait, what's, something's not quite right. And obviously when you get to this next page and it's all these like triangles as if it's just like shattered glass, yeah. as if her world's just completely shattering around her, it's pretty heartbreaking. And he goes to hug her, the color palette changes, you know, uh, it gets much colder it feels mm-hmm. like a really empty, lonely, fractured page. It's a really good uh, series of choices here. This, this, you know, if you add some little quibbles of that two-page layer earlier where they had to put in the arrows, yeah. this this one is like we're operating on a whole other level where it's it's yeah. working, it's distinct, it's memorable, but it's also easy to read. There's no doubts of where your eyes going for the bubbles. Very yeah. good stuff. Um, There's a flow to it that that other one kind of was lacking, you know. Um, but but here before he goes right he makes a you know Natasha tells him to be careful because it's it's delicate in dealing with someone with her condition and and he just says I'm a Green Lantern a Green Lantern can do anything and I love how this becomes his mantra through the rest of the book like I'm not that schooled in in the John Stewart mythology I don't know if this is a thing that was established that Johnson's picked up on. But I feel like going forward, this is kind of his character in a nutshell. Um, so so I like what it represents here in the next couple pages. Yeah, what he does here is he says a Green Lantern can do anything, and he forms a construct of his dead sister as mm-hmm. a girl and makes her full color and even talks to her and says, do you understand what you are? And she's like, I'm your heart. I'm your mind, I'm your memories, and I'm, most of all, I'm your will. Uh, and I'm to protect mother at all costs. And he kind of, like, approves of her. And he puts his dog tags around her. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, maybe he's linked to her, so that it's, yeah. on some level. Like, I imagine there might be something that comes up in a later issue where he's getting his ass kicked and like, this construct starts to fade away because his will's not projecting yeah. it anymore, kind of thing. Yeah. I could see Just that Just leaving the dog tags for his mom. Oh, yeah, the dog tags just fall to the ground because there's no girl anymore. God, Johnson's going to do us dirty like that, too. (laughs) And try to make us cry. Yeah. Admittedly, like, I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily love the idea that he can make a construct that can talk. Okay? I'm... No. It is this thing, though, that we're in the Wild West, like, uncharted territory for Green Lanterns between Al and him. Right? Because... To be fair, yes. This Green Lantern energy that he's using... Yeah. Is, is from the Genesis fragment. This is not the mm-hmm. Green Lantern power battery. But my logic with Green Lantern constructs has always been that it's more like a T-1000, right? You can make knives and stabbing weapons, mm-hmm. but you can't make, like, a complex, like, He can't chemical. clone himself to be two T-1000s, right? Yes, like, yes. I just, yeah. I, you know, so that's always kind of my thinking when I think of constructs. But obviously, Green Lantern yeah. writers, through all of time, have done their own weird, wacky takes. If you go back and read Silver Age Green Lantern when Hal yeah. was first introduced, he was doing all sorts of weird shit that I would never like in modern yeah, day Green Lantern comics. For, for, I mean, it was a magic ring that was operating under sci-fi rules. You know what I mean? So the fact here that, that this is channeled will, I think it opens up a door to what Green Lanterns can do. And Well, I, I, I think the, the two reasons why I'm not mad at this is one, mm-hmm. yes, the energy source is different if that's important mm-hmm. to you. I think the real reason why I'm not that mad, though, is because he's not doing this to save the day and solve a problem. No. 
this is purely an emotional thing for his mother and because it's not affecting like the you know he's not doing this to I, I don't know, win a fight with a big super villain or something like that. I, then I'd feel like it was, oh, so he's pulled this out of his ass kind of thing. Although, admittedly, if he does this later, makes a construct to trick a villain or something, it at least will have been set up here that he can do it and it wouldn't feel like complete bullshit because they've already done it. So, you know, I'll acknowledge that. But ultimately, him making this choice to do this to keep this lie going and then seeing how happy the mother is because she sees her daughter in the next page and yeah. like him leaving that behind and like uh Shepard say hey i'm not going to judge you for this like you know no judgment from me like mm-hmm. let's go and save the universe like I-, I thought that was all very beautiful so it's hard to be even mad at this when i typically feel quite i'm quite picky about what green lanterns can and can't do <laughs> yeah and just and the thing on that too is you know, he creates this contract, but I do feel like because there's such an emotional tie to it, that's why he can do it, I feel. It's for his mom. It's it's to keep her comforted, right? Like, in the heat of battle and whatever, he doesn't have those same emotions going, you know? So mm-hmm. it's almost like this thing is a is a product of the emotional spectrum, you know? Um, because what we, what we always knew from when they introduced that spectrum – was that green was just a piece of it. And I feel like it's it's all bleeding in together. And this is basically just the power of will, right? It's no longer about the green, you know, color spectrum and all of that other stuff that represents will. It, it's will is something that can move mountains, right? It's more mm. poetic than that. And for here, it's his will brought his sister back from the dead to comfort her mom, his mom. Um. And again, this might be something that only John Stewart can do, right? Because of his uh, relationship, yeah, it, it may be of the ring yeah. and and his mom and his sister and all this other stuff. So, uh, but re- regardless, um, you know, it's a great emotional beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, him and Shepard go to the rainforest where, yeah, this yep. Dark Star logo has been you know mm-hmm. burned into the ground. John explains that a little bit to Shepard. Yeah, uh, what that is, um. Basically, Shepard talks about how he was a little disappointed with this John Stewart at first because mm-hmm. the John Stewart he know seemed invincible, right? As John mm-hmm. puts it himself, um, and he, he, you know this John had quit the core. He's this more flawed character, and I, I like this because John's basically like, hey, like your heroes are still just human, right? They're just as fragile mm-hmm. as everyone else. Like no one's above all of that. Uh, I also like that uh, when John makes like constructs of like various Green Lanterns to help fight or uh, Dark Stars, they're all yeah. kind of recognizable races. Like there's a, I I don't know what uh, Zudarian, the fin-headed guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say a Tomar too. Uh... Well, that, that's who that is. That's yeah. Tomar too. Is that literally him? Yeah, he got bounced from the core. That's how he ended up in the the Dark Stars. Ah, I just thought it was one of his kind, not literally him. But fair mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or Tomar Ray's obviously the other one. Uh, yep. Uh, so a bunch of Green Lanterns show up, right? And I was thinking, oh, is this all from the other universe? And it's not. This is the Green Lanterns that were sent by the United Planets, because I went back and glanced at this scene from last issue. Yep. Uh, so the guy from the planet, was it Duras? How do I say his name is? The, uh, the Durlins. So the Durlins. Durla. Yeah, but what's yeah. The, the guy's name? The main one? Oh, 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 oh. Oh, God. It was something like Duras. I don't know. I, I could be... A- 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 Theron. Right? Aaron? What? 
Yeah, you're talking about the Darling, the, the main bad guy, right? Yeah, 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 the main darling guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe it was it was it's T H A R R O N. I think it's Taryn. Okay. Anyway, he sent a bunch of green lanterns because uh, the father of uh, Varen is like a, an important political figure, and he wants to be in a good place with mm-hmm. them. So these green lanterns have been sent here to find them or get revenge on whoever killed them. So that's who all these guys are. And of course, as soon as they show up, they're basically a bunch of red shirts. And my first thought was, hmm, the Radiant Dead only infects Green Lanterns. This feels like a lot of fodder for the Radiant Dead to take over, doesn't it? Uh, this seems like a terrible plan for the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't have known what they were walking into, of course. No one else knows about this yes. stuff. But still, Wait. sure enough, it comes up through the ground. The Revenant Queen's there. Yep. Oh man, she's looking rough. Yeah. Uh, and basically, in the meantime, whilst John's been building his new ring and getting over everything, mm-hmm. uh, she has infected the earth itself and is spreading everywhere. And if I have a critique of this mm-hmm. issue, it is probably that it ends very, very suddenly and doesn't feel like it uh, builds up to an ending. Abrupt, yeah. I got done with this and I saw the end, uh, it says, next end and beginning. And I was like, wait, there's got to be more, right? And there was none. That was it. So, yeah. uh, you know, the opening is strong. The stuff with John's mother is fantastic, mm-hmm. and I think the stuff in the rainforest building up to the Green Lanterns is, is nice and creepy, but with some good conversation. Yeah. Art from Man- Montos is great throughout, barring that you know needing the arrows to tell the order of that one page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, a case of the ending doesn't build to a climax or a cliffhanger in the way that you'd expect it to. Right. Uh, you know, it's just it's in this big fight. Uh, the Green Lanterns haven't all been taken over yet, although I suspect all of them, but the main two that we're following, will <laughs> next issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because that's the, that makes sense to me. But uh, yeah, so uh, very very good though. Like I, I I've been digging this a lot. I think the John and Shepard getting to know each other a little bit and uh, just you know talking about their past and. Uh-huh. Uh, all that stuff is is very good, um. So, yeah. But the emotion stuff with the mom is fantastic. It's it's uh, it's next level stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'll agree. And by the way, it's it's Theros, not Theron. I was getting Theros. confused with Theron. There you go. Yes. So, um, he's the he's a grand uniting figure of this United Planets uh, subplot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the mm-hmm. old corruption and the politics of the United Planets is something. That's- yep. It's intriguing me more and more the more we get little snippets of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very, very good. So, yeah. No, I still, I still love the, 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 the art for the for the faces and, like, John's reactions. I mean, a lot of that mm-hmm. emotional stuff is so good yeah. uh, because of the art, because of the, the, the mother looking happy or shocked uh, or just downright terrified that yeah. she, she doesn't know where her kids are in one scene. Uh, all very good stuff. And, and then he, her face when she sees Ellie walk in. Yeah, too. yeah. Oh man, yes, Montos is working. Yeah, even just the uh, the more subtle moments where like Natasha's like giving the side eye to mm-hmm. to John Henry because oh like you didn't tell him about about his mum and about she's yeah. like in, in a worse state kind of thing. She's deteriorating, and you you didn't tell him. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff is mm-hmm. is very good. So, uh, yeah. All right, what are you giving Green Lantern War Journal? I'm missing an eight. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it an 8, and I think it would be higher if not for that weirdly abrupt ending and that yep. one uh, panel sequencing mm-hmm. issue and that one page. So, 
you know, still very good overall, but just those those two quibbles kind of holding it back just a little bit. So, cool. Uh, Superman, Batman, World's Finest, issue 23, Mark Wade and Dan Mora on art. So, this, of course, is doing the whole Gog, Magog, uh, Jimmy, Gogga, Gogga, Logga. I don't know what you were going for there. Um, yeah, Magog, just, just saying Gog. saying Gog and Magog back to back just made me feel yeah. like okay, what the hell am I saying? This is nonsense. <laughs> yes, which apparently uh, means gateway in in Gog's uh, language. So that's what what he tells him as he's sitting on that throne. Yeah. So this was a solid issue in terms of art. Uh, there's some nice Superman and Batman moments. I will mm-hmm. critique it a little bit though because it is mostly fighting. So therefore. Yep. It does go on quite quick, and while Dan Mora's art is obviously very good, the characters all look great, a lot of these pages, because it is just action, it doesn't stand out as great as some of his other issues are for art, because there's less variety, you know? Yeah, and so the, the one, his, one of the very few times that I criticized Dan Mora, there's a page where he says the summoning has begun, right, and all the heroes are coming up. The way that he draws Gog, it made me think there was something else going on, because it looks like his face is twisting and contorting. So I'm like, is this where it reveals that he's not actually what he was? And it was no, it was just the way that he had chosen, that Moore had chosen to draw with the emphasis to make him look as maniacal as possible. Um, that kind of took me out a little bit. Sure. But yeah. but the rest of the art throughout is, is fine. Um, just that one page, and then maybe... Maybe when he has Superman, the Superman in his hands and stuff, his face looks a little wonky again. But, you know, it's all stuff that doesn't bother me as much. Um, but because the emotional stuff is hitting uh, there. So, but yeah, you're right. It is just a lot of fighting. Yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of a weird issue overall because of that. It's, it's hard to be as excited. Uh, obviously, they try and talk down David Magog mm-hmm. and do seemingly kind of convince him that mm-hmm. uh to, to, to turn, turn sides a lot of the heroes on this earth uh, end up teaming up with them to help stop magog uh the big thing here other than some very pretty splash pages and you know fighting pages is that yep. magog or sorry gog i should say is in mm-hmm. over his head because he doesn't really know what to like he, he thinks he's going to go off and like kill dark side and take over apocalypse but he's going to get his ass whipped that's what batman and superman seem to think but Batman and Superman have this realization that Gog actually has uh, the final piece of the anti-life equation. Funnily enough, we're talking about that again this week in a different book, in a very different context. Uh, but that it's actually dangerous for Gog to go to the apocalypse because Darkseid could could get it. And the reason why they think this is because they basically mm-hmm. realize that Gog's one sort of power, other than just being you know big and strong and whatnot. Mm-hmm. is that he seems to be able to manipulate free will. Like, he yep. seems to be able to like sway people, and that's what he's done to the heroes on this earth. And mm-hmm. if he ends up in Darkseid's hands, Darkseid might be able to complete the Antelife equation, and that's, uh-huh. you know, doomsday for everyone. So, yep. uh, yeah, uh, there's a big splash page where both supermen punch him, give him a big uppercut. That's a... Yep. You know, that's a page. It's, it looks pretty. And the big ending is that they're going to close this boom tube that Gog has opened to Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. They have to c- close it before anything else can, you know, go through or get through. 
And then the final page is Darkseid standing there with parademons behind him just saying, no need. Uh, <sighs> so we got Darkseid to deal with next issue. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's just my DC fandom or the fact that Wade had paced us out so much, but there was a sense of doom when the boom tube went off, right? And then you turn the page and Darkseid's just standing there. And, you know, you're kind of waiting for it, right? Because they're, they're kind of looking into the void. Uh, and then when it happens, and, and it's not just like the the force of Apocalypse, it's the man himself, you know? Um, but yeah, very, very, uh, like, again, the impending sense of doom yeah, the going cli- on to this world. The cliffhanger's great. The, 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 the wrinkle that Gog may actually be the final piece of the Antlife equation and the mm-hmm. question at the end, does Darkseid know that? Is that why he's come personally to deal with this? Mm-hmm. Is very, very fascinating. And I do think that it does feel that like there's a good sense of dread building up um, mm-hmm. once the boom tubes opened. All the fighting with Gog, though, is just kind of fine. You know, it looks good because of the art, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely not my favorite issue of this book or this arc even, because fundamentally it is mostly just fighting. And it mm-hmm. looks good, but nothing special either. You know, like the the fight is. You know, there's not a lot of motion in the fight in the sense that it's just a lot of big hits back and forth. Yeah. It's the Superman fighting, uh, Gog, it's, it's, Gog screaming. It's a series of yeah, a series of big moments, right? And you get the little moments in between, but they're in small panels, so nothing really stands out. Um, yeah, so that- it kind of kind of messes with the pacing a bit. Yeah, I think a more good through line throughout the fight would have would have been nice. Uh, yeah. As it is, it feels like a lot of colors, a lot of lines, a lot mm-hmm. of stuff going on, and you kind of become a little bit numb to it as you're reading it. Yeah. Uh, the, the the through line that I wish they had kept up was when, you know, Batman reminds David of who he is, and he when he tells him how many times I have to say it, Superman never lies, and that's kind of what brings him back. So it would have been nice to more just follow Magog through this through all of the, mm. the different fighting. And he sees the two Supermen take out Magog, right? We see everything from his point of view. That might have been a little bit better um, for pacing-wise, so it doesn't just feel like this big kind of chaos uh, fight scene. But, yeah. You know, Moore's great, though. Like, everything, again, with the exception of a couple of those pages, his dark side is menacing. Like, him oh, yeah, standing yeah. there is like a oof. Big, big time. And even the bottom of that page with the, we're too late from Batman. You know, there, there is this look of, of pain and worry, you know, in the, in that small panel. So, uh, but yeah, just, you know, very good all around. Yeah. Uh, the issue starts with the, the confrontation basically on like page two mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's it. That's them fighting for the whole mm-hmm. issue until the big cliffhanger with dark side. So yeah, de- definitely not going to ra- rank as highly for me compared to some of the better issues of, of mm-hmm. this book. But, you know, it's not a bad time. But it's definitely a, a victim of the type of issue that it is, for sure. Uh, a little bit more story, I think, would have went, went a long way. Uh, what are you giving World's Finest, Matt? Uh, I'm going to give this a 7.5. Yeah, it's just this is a 7 for me. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's good, but it's not great for all the reasons, kind of. Mm-hmm. kind of listed alright Jay Garrick The Flash issue 4 Jeremy Adams writing with Diego Olortega on the mm-hmm. art so this is delving into the backstory of of Jay 
Um, mm-hmm. Well, they're they're investigating the scientist, of course. Yep. Uh, and when they end up at Star Labs and talking to the current boss of Star Labs, it turns out that the scientist, uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now, uh, Professor Hughes. Thank you, Professor Hughes, yep. uh, is actually the silent partner who co-founded Star Labs. And they've got a journal, and then Jay reads the journal in front of Judy, mm-hmm. and then that's most of the issues, like us seeing what's in this mm-hmm. journal. It's the backstory of this guy. And he was a scientist who saw Alan Scott, the Golden Age Green Lantern, mm-hmm. on TV and decided that he thought everyone should be able to have powers and be special. And that's what he started working on. He started working on experimenting on animals, mm-hmm. trying to unlock powers and make people better, or mortal, whatever it may be. Full on mad scientist. Oh, for sure, yeah. And he realized that he would need like a human test subject because the animals aren't working. So mm-hmm. he started looking at different students at the Keystone uh, University. University. And apparently had a couple of candidates first that he turned down, but then he found, he found Jay, who was wanted to be great, saw himself as potentially being great, but wasn't quite achieving it, right? Uh, <laughs> and picked him as a lab assistant, and we get this whole backstory where the professor was, like, annoyed that he was chatting up girls. He, he, he thought that was distracting him from his work. But basically, the accident that gave Jay his powers was, was, wasn't was an accident at all. It was planned by the scientist. He was intentionally dousing him in all these chemicals to see if it would do something to him. Uh, so I, I like that because it made the whole thing, like, you know, there's a lot of coincidence in the creation it's, of the flashes with the lightning strikes and whatnot. Yeah, that, that doesn't say, it, it's, it's Jeremy Adams tying Jay into into the Flash mythos and lore more than ever before, right? Because up to this point, yeah, he's the first Flash, but it's kind of a namesake thing. He's not really tapping into the speed force, right? He doesn't deal with time travel, all of these touchstones that I think make the Flash the Flash. And in the course of this issue, he, he you know, the lab experiment uh, was planned by a villain to reveal Jay's own greatness, right? That's Zoom. You know, so he's almost cherry picking from these stories that yeah. Jay Garrick inadvertently inspired in order to retie that into Jay. So, again, it's a very flash thing to do. And I think it works on, on multiple levels. Very thematically. Yeah, it is yeah. doing all those things. I, I like it because it takes away a lot of the coincidence. And I know that, you know, the modern flashes, like there, there's indications that the, the speed force was choosing them. It wasn't just a random mm-hmm. lightning strike and all the usual you know, I know there's been right. little flourishes added on to those things, and, but right. And here for Jay, it is his metagene, right? Is the the professor figures out like this wouldn't have just worked on anybody. He happened to get the right guy. Well, yeah, that because... that, that, that this isn't in the, the moment mm-hmm. itself. This is after mm-hmm. after the accident, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay, it turns out, has super speed. He tries this in multiple other patients, and it never works. And it's mm-hmm. much much later. I think it's the, the 1960s. Before yep. he's realized, no, no, what happened is, is he tapped into the metagene that Jay already had. It won't just work on anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's he's determined to try and duplicate the metagene at that point. Um, mm-hmm. in it's fact, his own obsession. It, don't, it ends up becoming almost like 
like almost like a, a Lovecraft story where this man's obsession leads him into darkness that he well, cannot comprehend. He's he's so secretive about it that he kills the doctor who discovers Jay's got special mm-hmm. abilities after you know he's in hospital from the accident. Mm-hmm. You know, this doctor's like, hey, this stuff that's in his body will let him run faster than anyone else. He'll probably speed up to bullets. And the scientist pulls out a gun and shoots the, the doctor in the mm-hmm. head because yeah. no one can know. No one can know about this discovery. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, then, it's, it's super interesting. I, I enjoyed getting this pulpy history of this character yeah. in this. Um, and it works as well because, of course, Jay doesn't remember this guy either, which is very interesting because mm-hmm. he's so tied to his backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get this, uh, you know, him working on his stuff. He gets this benefactor who we keep in the shadows. We don't know who that is, nope. I don't think. But we see he builds the, the robot bear thing that we saw before. Mm-hmm. Um, he, fight, he, he sees Judy when she's already a teenager and he realizes time travel's involved. And it's that realization that the metagene was passed down from Jay to his daughter that it means that maybe he could separate it and figure out a way to sort of make himself special. Because that's ultimately what this is all about. He wants himself to become a god and mm-hmm. he wants to try and duplicate that no matter how, you know, however he can. So he actually does the same experiment to to Judy, right? Judy yep. comes with, with uh, Jay to, to work one day um, and he set up a trap uh, in the lab that will trap her on the chemicals and sure enough, the same thing happens to her. She gets the super speed. Uh, but it all goes a bit kablooey when one day she just disappears. And he even questions, like, wait, did, mm-hmm. did did my, like, experiment do that to her? Was this, like, a side effect of me, like, giving her all those chemicals? But then he realizes that Jay doesn't even seem to remember his daughter or even remember him. Like, the timeline's yep. been messed up. And that's kind of where it wraps up and we come back to present day. Um, the cliffhanger is a bit random. The secretary yeah. at Star Labs, like, her arm turns into a minigun and says, oh, Professor Hughes called, says you're fired, and then shoots the, the boss for giving the journal mm-hmm. to the Flashies. Uh, the ending's a bit random and just kind of silly yeah. pulp. Uh, but I actually really enjoyed the backstory of the scientist, and I, I especially like his really old-school cult leader-looking outfit that he's wearing yeah. in the later stuff in the 60s yeah, I period. Hope that comes- Hope that comes back around, like in other stories later. You know, whoever this benefactor is, whatever he was setting up, like why was he trying to bankroll this? How did this become Star Labs? It's almost kind of like after seeing Oppenheimer, it's very reminiscent of Operation Paperclip, right? Where we were taking a bunch of foreign scientists and putting them in special projects, and that's how we end up on the moon. You know, so I would, I, I wonder almost if it was the government that was setting him up, right? Because we already know. If you know your JSA lore, right, they end up at one point being forced to unmask for, you know, public safety, and they have to know who these masked men are. And that's kind of the whole point of the book, The Golden Age, is like, what if they did and what if they didn't? So, I mean, uh, honestly, maybe- my first instinct with a shadowy benefactor who's mm-hmm. paying a uh, thingy uh-huh. to, to try and continue his experiments, yeah, my first instinct was time travel. This yeah. is someone from the future. But I, I mean, I could just be making a leap there. Mm-hmm. There was just something about it. I was like, oh, we're going to recognize who this is if we ever see yeah. them. Yeah, I feel like there's a reason that they, they shattered the face, you yeah. know, to make it this thing. But but yeah, just there's some of these real world tie stuff that I feel like Adams is working through. And 
you know, I, I, I was worried that once it was revealed to be Professor Hughes and it was going to be this, oh, he was always a villain for Jay Garrick and one of those kind of, of retcons. But the way that it worked and making it a quintessential flash, kind of kind of taking Jay down that road, I ended up, you know, starting off from a negative place and really came around to it. So, well, I, you know. I think for me, Jay Garrick's like backstory is so vague and I've never really mm-hmm. read like a, you know, there's not a Jay Garrick year one, right? Or no. anything like that. And I, it's not, it's not an origin that everyone knows or anything like that. So I feel like there's a lot more room for me personally to sort of like mm-hmm. reshape what his backstory is. So I didn't have a problem with any of this. Whereas if you try and do it with Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, I'll just be rolling my eyes because I'm like, we know their backstory. It's been well explored. We know like what the fundamentals of it are. Um, this you know, is more of a, a blank canvas in a lot of ways. Obviously, there is a backstory that was there, but, you know, like the backstories in Golden Age comics were, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of pages at best. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and the fact that his origin is, is something called hard water vapors. You know, it's all... Yeah. It's all kind of this. Matt, last these, I these che- were thrown together. Matt, last I checked, hard water was ice, but maybe I'm. Yeah, that's what. Well, actually, hard water is mineralized water, and it causes chaos out here in our pipes. You know, my brother has to deal with it a lot as a plumber. So, you know, that was. I think they were just trying to find something scientificy back in the 30s. Mm. You know, well, we'll call it hard water, and it's these minerals that he inhaled that gave him his powers. You know. Uh, and I'm I'm wondering how many kids in the day were dissolving stuff to try to replicate the Flash's powers, you know. <laughs> so I've, I don't know. I have no idea. But you know. But yeah. But it's again them. Adam's tying this directly to like Flash stuff and making it more feel like he's tied into the Flash family. Like like you could be right. This could well, be. Yeah, somebody but I, I, I want to be clear though. I want to be clear though, Matt. Only thematically. There's nothing right. plot point here wise right, that right, actually right, right. ties him to any of those characters. Right yet, right? Because what if what if that is somebody from the future that we know, you know, that came to bankroll this to, you know, um, who who knows? But but yeah, just the fact that it, it the themes are all there, and Jay doesn't feel like such a an island amongst the Flash family. Like I know that he raised Bart, right? There was that whole thing that's how they they tied Impulse and and the families and stuff together, but you know him. Him not being all island anymore, thematically, I think, is, is a nice step. Yeah, it doesn't have to become too similar to the others, though. Part mm-hmm. of the strength of the character is that he can be different. He can feel mm-hmm. different to the other ones that are a lot more same as he. Uh, one of my favorite things about this issue is actually just how much the scientist kind of hates him and hates everyone else and just wants to do his work. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, he says when he's recruiting people, oh... Jay's not that attractive, and that means he won't be as distracted by girls. Mm-hmm. So then later on, when he is chatting up a girl at some point, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if that's meant to be his wife, you know, Joan, right? At, at the time, you see, there's like, there's like, during the montage, uh, there's that page where it's the the scientist's face, and there's yeah. all these panels around it, and it's like the time passing mm-hmm. for twenty years, and you see in that twenty years he does get married to Joan, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that's who he was chatting up at college, but. Uh, like just the scientist, like just contempt for him. Like, oh, he's he's not focused on the work, and it's it's 
it's almost like a stupid thing that he cares because like you're about to use him as a human test subject like he might mm-hmm. die anyway like why do you care if he's not committed well, because it's, pro- it's projection this man has nothing else going on for him either so he doesn't want anything else going on for anyone else yeah you know yeah uh, so he wants he wants them to be mundane and the fact that Jay yeah Jay was kind of a mediocre football player that he talks up and that's how he gets him as a lab assistant but you know Jay Garrick was still somebody that people liked he kind of is I almost put him as the heart of the JSA you know he kind of is the one that, that ties them all together so just the idea that he didn't even have Jay picked outright that's probably frustrating him even more you know uh, but yeah, this is Jeremy Adams on the Flash. Is still it's it's one of these things that some writers just kind of get the property, uh, and he's just showing between this and his Flash with Wally run. I I'm I'm gonna be sad when this one's over because then I won't have any more Jeremy Adams on the Flash. I'll just have him on Green Lantern. Yeah, all right, what are you giving the Flash? Uh, I'm gonna give this an eight. Uh, I think I'll go with a 7.5 on this. Uh, that is enjoyable. I like the backstory. I like uh, fleshing it out a little bit. And the pulpy scientist villain uh, is, is fun. I liked it from his perspective and all mm-hmm. of his like sort of very untrustworthy uh, kind of viewpoints on who Jay is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to get it from, get it from that angle. So, uh, fun time. All right. So, uh, that takes us on to Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong, issue four. Brian Bruchelletto writing with Christian Deuce and Tom Derenick on the art. Um, mm-hmm. And I will say, I didn't notice the art change in this one when it hit. Yeah. Um, but this is continuing to be quite a bit of fun. Uh, the big thing, of course, is that Godzilla seemed to like really put Superman out before. To the point where the, some of the Justice League members are just straight up saying he's dead. And, yeah, he doesn't have a pulse. Uh, you know? And Batman is basically saying, no, he's not gone yet. He's not done for yet. We'll find it, find a way to bring him back. Um, Batman even speculates, we don't even know if he has a... Well, someone else says we don't know if he has a pulse. And then Batman right. says, no, he's got the biggest heart of anyone I goddamn know. He yeah. has a pulse. So it's Oof. kind of sweet. It really plays on this idea of Batman like believing in superman and basically believing that he'll be okay no matter what and like again obviously batman's very proactive Mm -hmm. so he's like okay let's figure out a way to deal with this let's do this um but he's the one that as soon as like they're done talking about superman though he's like oh okay the dreamstone's missing this is how they've done it toy man Mm -hmm. where's toy man is he controlling these monsters like immediately as soon as he's had time to like start investigating he starts piecing it together almost instantly (laughs) i mean to me that's also his coping strategy right he can't deal with personal stuff so he's got a laser he's got a laser brain that he has to focus on something and now it's this mystery of, of where do the titans come from um i also like how through this issue because they don't know this is godzilla they keep calling it the metropolis monster um, which which I do like uh, that fits in with the tone. Yeah. Well, yeah, one of them knows though. Uh, maybe it's Lex uh, that calls him Godzilla. Lex, Lex calls him Godzilla because he's working with some. Op- you know, we'll get to that. I'm sure. Yeah, he's working with some info from the other Earth. Yeah. So. Yeah. So they're sort of looking about to try and find a lot of the monsters have sort of went into hiding. They went into the yep. water, or whatever. Um, Kara is with King Kong, and she's having a steering contest. <laughs> 
to try and communicate with King Kong. She thinks that King Kong understands. Like, she has a moment where Kong seems to show a different facial expression, show something Mm -hmm. different in his eyes. So she flies off to to go try and help Superman. She thinks she's needed. Uh, which leaves Green Arrow with Kong. And Kong is growling in his direction, and he's like, hey, big guy, we're cool. But then he realizes he's growling at whoever's behind him, and it turns out the League of Assassins are on Skull Island. So Green Arrow and King Kong inadvertently team up up. to start (laughs) fighting all these League of Assassins ninjas. I love those stupid books so much. Yeah, I love that he pounds his chest at Green Arrow. Green Arrow takes it as a slight. (laughs) <laughs> right because ollie's so self-centered that he's like oh the monkey has issues with me oh wait no there's other people like that was so funny to me yeah we have lois coming back to see clark uh mm-hmm. on the watchtower uh so that's kind of an emotional beat she pulls out the wedding ring she's found or the engagement mm-hmm. ring i should say and is like hey, my answer is yes but you have to put it on me so you have to wake up mm-hmm. uh so yeah they're, they're play- pulling at the heartstrings and all that uh, but she calls in some favors as a reporter to try and find out where Lex Luthor is to try and track down the Legion mm-hmm. of Doom. So, you know, she might end up being useful. The Legion of Doom bicker about uh, who's in charge and who's taking orders. Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing. Um, Manta makes some sense, though. You know, he's talking about, you know, how, how Lex is going about this and these creatures and whatever. So, but that was a lot of fun, too. Uh, Cheetah and Deathstroke are looking for Toy Man as well, and Toy Man does seem to be mm-hmm. showing up in the vicinity of some of the monsters. He was at the the pier when Godzilla was attacking yep. Metropolis. They find out uh, Lex seems to be building Mecha Godzilla, and I don't know if I called this. I feel like I yeah. might have guessed this. Yeah, because you because just like a big piece of technology, you're like I'm willing to bet. That's those are he's gonna use whatever he found to make a Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, he's he's talking about the the tech and how they they built some mechanical thing to you know a mechanized Titan was the exact phrase, mm-hmm. uh, capable of defeating the greatest monsters. Um, but yeah, um, he does point out though, based on the files of the other Earth, that uh, Godzilla's just there to maintain natural order. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not actually there to destroy things. We can't convince it to kill the Justice League. And it does raise the interesting question then, okay, so why was he fighting Superman so hard? Is it because mm-hmm. Superman's powerful enough that he thought he was a Titan? Or is this manipulation from whatever Toy Man's doing with the Dreamstone kind of thing? So I took that as right from what, what we know about the monster versus that that's what Godzilla does, right? Is he goes to seek out the big monster because he has to be king, right? That's his beef with, with King Kong in the movie. So the fact that Superman is on this Earth, kind of one of the biggest deals, I feel that that's what led him to Metropolis. And then he took care of business like Godzilla does, right? Like he took out, so then he left to go find the next biggest threat uh, to maintain that natural order. Um, and so it, it ended up making a lot of sense there uh, with with where Godzilla's gone and then who he ends up fighting in this one, which that was another... A holy moment, you know. Yeah, we're getting to that. I, I, I'm not convinced that's the reason why he, he fought Superman. I, st- I could still see it being a different reason, depending on what they want to reveal. But uh, we'll see. So what? So what then? Do you think that Toy Man just brought him to? So you think he's looking more for Toy Man because Toy Man has the stone, and it's almost acting like the beacon. Yeah, something like that. I mean, okay. the fact that they made a point of showing that Toy Man was there where Godzilla was. Yeah. 
Um, and fighting Superman could be nothing more than Superman came up to him it's on his level. Damage, and damage, right? Uh, well, not even just collateral, but Superman came up and tried to, like, mm-hmm. sort of stare him down. Mm-hmm. And Godzilla, you know, doesn't Godzilla take... doesn't play well with others, except yeah. when he does. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, the rest of the heroes, like Wonder Woman, Flash, and Green Lantern, go to help Aquaman Atlantis. So they've all got breathers on. And there's this giant titan. It's like a big, it's like a big sea dragon. I'm gonna call yeah, it. Yeah, it's like a, it's got like eel features, but also like you know weird like it's not fully like a snake though either. Like yeah, like a sea dragon's it, the best thing. It's definitely got like a dragon head though. Like that's yeah. why I'm calling it that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know they're fighting this thing and they're they're kind of struggling. Then Godzilla swims in and fires off his atomic breath at the sea dragon, and they're all like freaking out. They don't know what to do. This big fight's happening underwater, and then Aquaman's like, "Look, we got to you know go open the door, Mark." And he's like, "Can you sure?" Uh, all right. So yeah. Arthur goes and unlocks a big chain. And we get this big full two-page spread. Godzilla on one side, the sea dragon titan on the other side. Uh-huh. And then in the middle, what Arthur's just released, it's a kraken. To which <laughs> to which someone actually says he seriously just released the kraken. Yeah. So there's a kraken fight. Uh, and, and I like that they point out that it's not just a, the Kraken's not just another monster. It is Atlantis's last line of defense, right? Yes. You know? So but, so I like I like that they're they're working that in. Th- this is well. a, a giant monster native to this earth. Uh yep. so that's interesting. Uh this one ends kind of abruptly as well, actually, because it just goes to the last page after this mm-hmm. and it goes all the way back to Skull Island, because we've not been there since mm-hmm. early on in the issue. But uh Green Arrow, when he went off the cliff earlier on, he fell onto the League of Assassins ship, and the end of the issue is him looking under the big tent that they've got on the ship. Mm-hmm. And there's a giant skull head. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Did you recognize what this is meant to be? Yeah, that, that's the scroll crawler. That's the thing that Kong fights in Skull Island. Okay. It's, it's the giant king one. So I wonder if I wonder what they're going to do with that. Maybe throw it into a Lazarus pit and, and bring back a king skull crawler. I don't know. But I, don't, I, I don't know, yeah. Does, does Roz just want a cool trophy for the trophy room? Who yeah. knows? I'll be honest. Um, I sat looking at this panel for like five minutes yeah. trying to figure out what the hell skull it was meant to be. I was like, is this, one of, is this one of Ghidorah's heads? Like, that's what I was nah. thinking. And I was like, oh, nah. Well, but why would it be on Skull Island, right? Now you got to do that tie to, I don't know. to that. I, I, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, don't forget Monsters Heroes from Space. So, you know. True, uh, true, true. You know. So, and you got to remember too that in, in the interior, in, in the logic of the story, um, Toy Man brought these from other, from that other Earth, right? So like, Skull Island just popped up. So anything that was on there too. So I don't think like like with Ghidorah, he would still be frozen. You would think, because um, I don't think any mm. of that stuff's happened. Although who knows? Maybe maybe we get Mecha Ghidorah, and that's what that's what Lex is building. You know. I don't think so because I think you have to have Ghidorah first before you have Mecha True. Ghidorah. Uh, plus, Mecha Ghidorah in the movies isn't completely Mecha. It's like, like yeah, he's a cyborg. Yeah, like p- parts of Ghidorah are still there, and then parts mm-hmm. are cyborg. Uh, whereas obviously Mecha Godzilla is just fully mm-hmm. a, a, a Mech yep. uh, thing. So 
yeah, I expect it's Mecha Godzilla that he's building, and yeah. maybe he's souped up with some Lex tech to yeah give it a bit of extra oomph. I was I was hoping he was just building a a you know how we get the composite Superman Batman. I was hoping mm-hmm. it was going to be a composite Mecha Godzilla Lex. It's essentially a Mecha Godzilla with Lex's head, <laughs> right? Like, I, I do like though that in that page where he's talking about you can kind of see in the big workshop there's like mm-hmm. part of the tail and the eyeballs yep. sort of sitting there mm-hmm. so you get a sense of what he's building so we may get that next issue if I have a critique for this issue is that I think the reason why the ending feels so abrupt is because all the fighting on Skull Island with Kong and Green Arrow is over yeah. like ages ago and then we come back and there's a panel at the top of the last page of Kong walking away just to let us know exactly where we yeah. are. And mm-hmm. I, all I could think was, why wouldn't you just split up some of that Green Arrow-Kong uh, fight so that it ended in the last couple pages and just went straight into this? Like, yeah. Because that, that Green Arrow and Kong stuff, like that continued on after Supergirl left. Like You mm-hmm. could have ended that scene with the cliffhanger of the League of Assassins popping out the trees. Cut yeah. there, go to the rest of the scenes in the book, and then just save that bit where they're fighting the League of Assassins mm-hmm. together for the few pages before the ending, so that because I think this last page on its own feels really weird, separated yeah. from that. But well, you could almost have had the page with Godzilla, the Sea Dragon, and the Kraken as the last kind of two. You, you, know? you could have done it, but I'm just assuming they really wanted this to be the mm-hmm. last page. I think just right. restructuring it to moving, you know, three or four pages yeah. from earlier to right before this. I think would have solved my issue. It just yeah. feels really weird to go to this last page when that felt over ages ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it just it felt a bit weird to me. It's not a yeah. huge deal, but it's, no. it stuck out. But but it's enough of one because yeah, it felt a little bit off to me too. Because that was another one where I was expecting more, and then I got to the end and it was the end of the book. Yeah. Uh, art's been pretty solid. Obviously, the monsters especially mm-hmm. look really good. Yeah. Uh, they've been really fun and entertaining. Yeah. I did feel the art change a little bit here or there, though. Um, especially, it was in the... Um, I, I think it actually is during the Green Arrow and uh, League fight, or just after mm-hmm. that, where it felt like it changed, and I was really noticing uh, the art bouncing around a little bit. Um, you know, there's a, there's a page when Lois is on the phone, for example, to get, get looking up leads to try and find the Legion of Doom. I mm-hmm. thought her face there really stuck out to me. He's looking very different from what a lot of the regular art is. Um, you know, it, it's got kind of a, a stretched kind of look to it. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't feeling it so much. But, yeah. There you go. That's, 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 yeah. that's, 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 that's my extent of thoughts. It's not a really fun book. Like, I, I, I'm i enjoying how they're mixing and matching. Having Green Arrow work with King Kong is kind of amusing. Um, yeah. Godzilla showing up to fight the various things, including the Kraken, also very entertaining. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, if we're done, you can read it, Matt. And... Yeah, no, it's it. I'll get 7.5. Yeah, that... I think 7.5 sounds right to me as well. All right. So that'll take us out the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week. Favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, favourite art, and of course, top five books. So, uh, Matt, what was your favorite panel slash moment of the week? All right, man. There's some from Wonder Woman. I really like seeing the arrows clash and you get the stars, right, that, that show. Um, that's a really good scene. I mean, actually, any of those scenes that involve the Wonder Girls, I liked a lot. However, uh, 
this is this is a house that that worships uh, coriander, and so <laughs> her her biting the the garo spore and spitting it out and saying, "I won't be enslaved again." That's like an all time Cory moment. So that's gonna be mine. Okay. Um. Yeah. I like. I think there's a few in Titans that I could pick. The Cory one's good. Raven. Uh, being mm-hmm. a cold badass is good. Uh, War Journal has that great emotional stuff with the with the mom, mm-hmm. but for me, it has to be the final page of Wonder Woman. I just think that 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 way it all comes together with them saying, "No, yeah. screw your stupid trials. We're backing you up, and you don't get a say in the matter." I I just think that 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 was such a fist pump moment of a page yeah. uh, that the entire issue built up to. So yeah, perfect. All right, cover of the week, Matt. You got any uh, you want to throw out quickly? So I, I was looking. So what I've been doing is when we go to talk about the books, since I have like a comic geeks open, I just click on that and I look at the as we're talking, right? So because when there's books like or structure like this week where we read everything the same, it's kind of hard to look. Um, one that immediately jumps to mind is it is the let me scroll over. The Julian Totino Tedesco, so I guess it's just Tedesco, Wonder Woman, uh, which is just, it looks like a painted, almost like a portrait of Diana doing the crossed over uh, wrists. Uh, that looks really good. There's also a um, Justice League uh, versus Kong versus Godzilla that has, uh, who did this one? It is the Jorge Molina, where it's got mm. Kong and Godzilla clashing with the Trinity looking on and it just looks kind of like an end of days kind of thing. Sure. Sure. Uh, and yeah. And then there's also the, the fun Nightwing, right? The, the, the meme cover with Nightwing and Damien. Um, however, I think I'm going to pick the, the Wonder Woman regular cover. Just, mm. it's got the star and just the way that it divides up with, uh, steel, Sarge steel and, uh, the sovereign. There, it just it, it looks very nice. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to the Michael Walsh World's Finest cover, uh, which is Batman and Superman on a white background, and mm-hmm. it's mostly just uh, sort of dark blues and blacks, other than Superman's logo, which is red. Uh, but it just looks very distinct, sticks out at me. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm actually also going to pick the Wonder Woman regular cover because it is just beautiful. Those Sempier covers have been gorgeous this entire yep. time. Uh, the different things around the red star, uh, just really, really sold it. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's almost a missed opportunity to have all the Wonder Girls on the cover, but I get it. Yeah. One of the variants yeah. does, but the it's not. I, it's not my style. Yeah, it's not. I don't like yeah. it either. Uh, plus Cassie's missing on that for some reason. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, Min Wonder Woman covers my pick as well. All right, art of the week, Matt. This is one of those weeks where it's just it's a, a, a slew because right you have you have Redondo on Superman and that's easily what carries that book, uh, and then you have um, you have Montos on Green Lantern, um, and then you have uh, Sam Peter on Wonder Woman. Uh, usually more is in that conversation as well, but for you know compared to those other three, yeah. not not a standout so, issue this week in that no, case. For so, him. I've been thinking who I'm going to give that to. Well, and then you also got Travis Moore on Titans, and that's that's good too. But I don't think it's nearly on, on the level as the other three. Um, for the sake of brevity, I'm going to give it to Sam Pierre for Wonder Woman. I'm also giving it to Sam Pierre. Uh, 
other there was other great art this week. You know, uh, Montos mm-hmm. is probably slotting in at number two for me if I'm if I'm ordering them. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sempier takes the the cake. I think the art in Wonder Woman is just phenomenal, start to finish. Mm-hmm. So that's that. All right, top five books of the week, Matt. Go. All right, one is Wonder Woman. Two is War Journal. Three is Titans. Four is Flash. And five is... Hmm, five is Justice League Godzilla Con. Sure. Uh, Wonder Woman's my number one. Uh, no question. Two... Titans. Three, War Journal. Four... Nightwing... Five, yeah, just like Godzilla Kong. But was that the same as yours, or was it a little bit different in the middle? Um, I think it was different in the middle. Did you have Flash? No. Uh, no. So yeah, okay. I had Flash at four. Okay, a little bit different then. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. All right, there you go. That's uh, our ranking of this week's books. Uh, next week, I'll just tell you what's coming out from DC Comics. We have Detective Comics one thousand eighty one, Green Arrow issue eight, The Flash issue five. Harley Quinn 36, Batman the Brave and the Bold issue 9, which does, if I recall correctly, feature Tom King and Mitch Gerrard's next Joker Batman chapter. Uh, We also have Titans Beast World issue 5, we have The Penguin issue 6, Power Girl 5, Amazon's Attack issue 4, and Titans Beast World Tour Star City issue 1. So that's what's coming out next week from DC Comics. So... Uh, we'll see you for those books next time Uh, let us know what you thought of these uh, books that we talked about this week in the comments or on twitter at DC Comics Podcast Uh, you can of course hit the like button if you're on YouTube helps us out a bunch and of course you can support us over at patreon.com slash TV and get some bonuses Uh, various of the movie podcasts get bonus episodes or bonus shows and things like that Uh, you get a little bit early access for comics in the multiverse um, but if that's the, the main way to keep the show coming and uh, help financially support everything, keep the lights on. But that has been the show. So thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.